Welcome back, everybody. My favorite part of the podcast is discovering and rediscovering people. Some people I've never talked to, some people I haven't spoken to in years. To hear their accomplishments or simply their interests is so amazing. Honestly, I can't imagine that getting old. My guest today is Heath Kendrick. When we were in high school, he had the most optimistic personality. Have you ever walked up to somebody and they offer like, like a single quip about something that's random? You respond and they hit you with just optimistic, energetic conversation? That's Heath. He was part of the gearhead crowd. I frequented that crowd among others. I was always amazed by his positivity and personality. His personality is bigger than himself. He's a transmission technician here in South Mississippi. He's one of those guys who just loves working with his hands and solving problems. On the podcast, we talk about his work as a tech, and we also talk about his experience about being a father to his young son and daughter. He's very energetic about that as well. And it makes sense. He's a guy who enjoys solving problems. A child is an enigma, a mystery. A child is another sentient being with its own genetic blueprint and script for living. You have to somehow program this child, teach the child, empower the child, and at some point stand back and allow the child to brave and confront the world. Hopefully, successfully. That's the goal, at least. That seems like an impossible puzzle. We're all alive today because somebody chose to try and solve the problem of human development. What better enigmatologist would you rather have than Heath? A positive, energetic man with a vigor for overcoming whatever complexities come his way. And yes, enigmatologist is a word. It's a word coined by a man named Will Shorts, who is the only known person to have a degree in enigmatology from the University of Indiana in 1974. Heath should probably be the honorary second. Our podcast also went a direction I wasn't fully expecting, We talked about his newfound passion for metal detecting. I know you're thinking, please, please be open-minded. I'm actually itching to go. Again, this is right up Heath's alley. It's a problem-solving, detective-esque venture. I never thought I could have such an interesting conversation about metal detecting. In order to do this successfully, you have to spend time researching the very land we all walk on, that that we probably take for granted, where neighborhoods are built and homes erected, I won't go on, but look, here's the hook. Metal detecting involves police and the bomb squad. Trust me, you'll want to hear it. Everyone, also trust me, you're going to enjoy this episode. Everyone, please welcome the stud himself, Heath Kendrick. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Shop and Jewelry Podcast. Uh, My guest today is Heath uh, Kendrick. Heath. How you doing, man? Doing good, but how about yourself? Not Long time bad. no see. I know, I know. So what have you been up to recently? Oh, man, you know, not much. Um, just working transmissions and mechanic work and running around and hanging yeah. out with the kids, wife, and all that good fun stuff. And you got how many kids? I got two kids. Okay. I got an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old. So an 11-year-old boy, eight-year-old daughter. So, What's that like? Uh, it's very interesting in the world, man. <laughs> they keep me busy. Yeah, They definitely sure. keep me busy. A million questions, a million questions. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be fun, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's got its ups and downs. You you want to grab one day and do the Bart Simpson shake, but then yeah. every now and then, you're just like, you're, you know, it's a great day. So You know, the thing that, that uh, I think is the great metaphor for, like, what family can do, 
do to you and how you can feel about family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a it's a comical metaphor. But have have you ever seen the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith with uh, Brad Pitt and oh, Angelina yeah. Jolie? Yeah. And so they're they're it, it, there's constant cut scenes to where they're in this like therapy session and mm-hmm. they're sitting really far apart. And uh, Brad Pitt says this one thing. He goes, "Look, don't get me wrong. I love my wife." But sometimes, and he does this motion where he's like, he's, he's, he's got her neck and he's shaking and tensing up. <laughs> like, yeah, like 100%. It, it goes back to those days where you're like, when your son or something does something crazy, you're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely your your, your son, not, not mine. Right. Uh, I don't claim that aspect of him. And then when it goes outside and does something cool on a bicycle, something like that, yeah, like that, that's mine, not yours. Yeah, I claim yeah. that part. So it, it, it's a fight. <laughs> what, where do you... Do you have like a familial inspiration? Like, is there somebody that 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 you kind of look up to, um, or or and no names, but you know, uh, not necessarily. But uh, is there somebody that you kind of want to be like, like kind of aspire to as a father? Oh, absolutely. Actually, I mean, it's it's kind of harder to name one person. I have a few sure. in my life. Like my, um, I mean, my dad was a great inspiration. I mean, he passed away when I was like eighteen. So I mean, it, you know, obviously, I was you know one of those things is like you wish he was there because his inspiration on things. But you know, I just carried over. Um, and then you got like my, my father-in-law is a great inspiration. You know, I've been with him for 11 years now with yeah. life. And so he's part of my family. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's hard to say which one in particular, but you got sure. a lot of different inspirations that help carry over to your children as far as guidance and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you also want to be your own individual instruction and stuff like that and right. carry on your own wisdom to them without anybody else's guidance. So yeah, there's a lot of inspiration that comes to different people. Sure. Sure. So. And that's true among like all things. I mean. Right. Right. So, so you do you do automotive work um well mostly transmissions well and at my work at cook transmissions we strictly do automatic transmissions we just it specialized no no standards no rear ends nothing like that just strictly automatic transmissions transfer cases do you guys do any of that we'll we'll change transfer cases and stuff like that but as far as rebuilding one no gotcha i love i love that aspect of specialized like yeah you do alternators no sorry but it's i'll do them on my own that's like what i was telling you the other day i'm starting out trying to do some stuff on the side and kind of like a mobile mechanic kind of thing i come to you so Mm -hmm. that's so i mean i can do it all but at work general stuff i mean straight transmission work yeah i love the idea i'm, I'm surprised that's that that's not more popular but then again like you've got to carry a lot of equipment to to you know get it right but as far as well that's the thing about transmissions each individual transmission is so so different i mean different parts different tools i mean so it's hard you couldn't just go out and just do transmissions on the road so yeah um so you got to have a specialized shop and it's hard to have let's say do transmissions and general mechanic work in the same building because you got to have a whole shop dedicated just just do transmissions yeah so that's why you see a, a, there's very few transmission shops even ever anywhere anymore because of that reason so mm. it's a dying breed yeah yeah i i had a thankfully i haven't had a lot of a lot of transmission problems i did have a truck where it i'm ashamed to admit it it must have been my fault that this happened but 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 that a lot. I was I was driving down the road, and I was actually going to go pick up a GoPro down in Jacksonville. And this is when I lived in South Georgia, and uh, drive shaft blew out. I mean, you know, lost it. Uh, it uh, it it bent. You know, it was a 2000 Silverado, and uh, thankfully it kicked to the left. So I was in the left lane, and it kicked to the left because right. that would have been an accident. You know, had it kicked out uh, uh, somewhere else, but you know, I pulled over, had to do the walk of shame to go grab the drive shaft. You know, a quarter mile back, and then, uh, but <laughs> I think it blew out at the U joint, mm-hmm. um, and the U joint uh, coming from the uh, spline end. 
Okay, well, at least it, at least it wasn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the scare, right? Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's definitely the scare. That'd be a worse walk of shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, once I got out of the flip vehicle, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, guys, don't worry about me. It's okay, just keep on driving. So yeah. a few weeks back, I, I had fixed a wine from, mm-hmm. from back in that area by doing the U-joints. Yeah, yeah. So I assumed I messed something up there. Now, I've done a lot of U-joints, and I can't... And there's not much to them. So I don't know if I got a bad one or. Eh, well, it's kind of like one of those things. I mean, I've been doing transmissions with my father-in-law's shop for a little over 11 years now. And I'll make a mistake tomorrow that yeah, oh, I, I don't sure. ever make. So, I mean, it's it's with any kind of job or trade or anything. I don't care how long you've been doing it. You're going to mess up. Yeah. Which is a cool thing about mechanics is you can say, hey, that was my bad. And then you learn from it. And then you remember it in your head. So slap on the wrist and keep on going, I guess. Well, that's, that's one thing I love about trades work, man, is like it <laughs> – it's very, I haven't progressed. I've been doing woodwork for like probably six years, but I haven't progressed at the rate that um, I think I should have because I don't have a lot of people. I'm the most advanced woodworker I know, you know, so, so, so I don't have um, that sort of community mentorship. So I kind of got to make these mistakes and it's just, it's tiring, honestly, <laughs> screwing stuff up as, oh, as often as I do and having to re- restart a project. Well, that's me now being 11 years into it. You know, they've taught me and taught me and taught me. Mm-hmm. And my father-in-law is a great teacher and stuff like that. And it's very frustrating with the way he teaches. Cause it's like back then when I was learning, you take a transmission apart and you put a certain part together and he's like, Oh, that's good. And he instantly just takes it all back apart and throws it on the table. And you're like, Oh, you, like, you son of a bitch. Like I just spent like an hour getting that right. And, you're just gonna, and he's like, put it back together. And then, so now it's like, I didn't really, you know, and now after 11 years, he's like, well, they don't even look over it now. So you're like, Oh, now it's all on me and you got $2,000 in a transmission. If you put one bearing in backwards, you eat all $2,000 just like that. So it's gone. Yeah. So um, now it's, you mess up and you pull it back out and he's like, good job. Thanks for me. Thanks for losing $2,000 from me, butthole. Yeah. So, you know, but um, now we have my brother-in-law working with us and he's been like four, for like four or five years and now I'm the teacher for him. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of cool. That's a fun aspect. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more, a lot more responsibility, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I, that's, I'm like you. I love the aspect of any trade work is in the end, you are your own teacher. Yeah. I mean, you can have all the teachers in the world, but in the end, you are your own teacher. You mm-hmm. learn, I mean, you learn a certain way from a certain person, but at the end of the day, you relearn it yourself and how you do it. So, yeah, it, it I, I really think good. of, um, I talk about golf in, in this way, like. It's a great analogy. Well, well, in the sense that, like, if you're trying to learn something in golf, like, for me, it was how to spin a, how to spin a golf ball yeah. on the green. I couldn't wrap my head around how to do it, but every golf magazine tells you the same stuff. Right. It's the same stuff, but there's a different way of articulating it. And I remember the article with uh, David Ledbetter. He's a he's a pro, like a really famous pro. And he was talking about if you want to spin the ball, when you come through the ball, your strong hand should be palm up. And it's as if because spin stops the ball from rolling. Right. So imagine somebody dropping the ball in your hand. Right. You catch it. It stops it. And then if you wanted to put forward spin on the ball, then you finish with your strong hand over. Yeah. And that's as if you're dropping the ball on the ground and now it rolls. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to, to people when, when I tell them that, but for me, it just, it, it clicked. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. You talk about golf. I, I know and understand golf a lot, but, um, I can't play golf with crap. Like, Most can't. I grew up with a family playing golf. My dad played golf. My father-in-law play, plays golf. My stepdad plays golf. Pick like, up some sticks, bro. Oh, I mean, I go out there. I'm, I'm really good at breaking the heads off and sending it further than the ball. And I got real good at driving the golf cart. Like, I'm perfect at that. Like, we got you. So, but yeah. uh, no, it's fun. That's the thing. It's about like talking about golf. It's really fun. Either way, whether you're bad, suck at it, good at it. You know, it's a great laugh. Great yeah. sport. But golf is like the perfect analogy of anything in life. Like, there's always something in golf that ex- explains life. 
Yeah, for <laughs> that's sure. That's what I like about that. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I mean, it's. I'll, yeah, go ahead. I'll say this about golf too: is that the great thing about golf is you're never playing anybody. You're no. always playing yourself against the course. Oh, absolutely. So it, it's a it's very much an individual sport, but but because of that, like you, all the things that maybe make you struggle about things in life, like like maybe your ego, like all those things reveal themselves. And so it's it's kind of it's almost a therapeutic sport because you have to contend with yourself every step of the way. Oh, absolutely. You're constantly mastering yourself to master the game. Absolutely. And then it's like you go to a different golf course and it all starts over again. All starts over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like no bowling kidding. again, even like you can compare yeah. it to bowling. It's everything's different. Mm-hmm. So again, life, golf, everything's different. Yeah. But um yeah, man, it's um the trade's been fun in life. I I, I um College was never my idea of personality in school, wanting to do college. And it's like, nah, I thought about it and signed up for a few different colleges and never went. So um, maybe went to the first semester and like, no, it's not my thing. Um, Went away with my dad and got into millwright work and doing paper mills and power mills and stuff like that. And power plants, I mean, not power mills, but um, interesting work. And then um, unfortunately he passed away at 18 and then I came home and found my wife, got a few kids, got married and a transmission mechanic. It's, It's really fast life <laughs> so well have you always been pretty pretty mechanically inclined yeah yeah i mean i well, we always grew up my dad was the kind of person my dad well, like i said he was all he was a precision millwright um yeah. for a long time and i don't you know i don't know if you no know, but it, a precision alignment of anything on a plant i mean i don't care if it's a, a square a two foot square or a, a forty-seven thousand ton machine it's got to be aligned in a certain spot and he's the guy that does it Interesting. um yeah it's a very cool job um i wish i could have stuck with it and learned it because that's probably what i'd still be doing today but you know things change but yeah. um yeah even growing up you know he was always um doing stuff at home he, he was a welder on the job on a uh, oil rig for a while so i was always around that kind of stuff my grandfather um on my mother's side he was a um you know, he had a Marine background in the Marines during uh, Korea and all that stuff. And when he got out of the Marines, he became a uh, GM specialized mechanic okay. at the local GM dealership. So I grew up around cars all my life. I mean, it's yeah. so, so it was just kind of a natural thing. And then, which is funny because most of my family on my, my dad's side was all construction workers. You know, they built houses and stuff like that. And you give me a hammer and someone's dying. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not going to work out good. Like, a nail gun, oh, God forbid. But, um, I mean, no, he does not work with wood at all. And plus, with wood, if you cut too much off, you're screwed. you got to go get another piece of wood. If I yeah. cut too much off a piece of metal, I can weld it back on and run it back out. Yeah. We're, we're good to go again. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. Um, there's, 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 there's definitely an aspect of that. Well, yeah, that I've always been in a mechanic, a mechanic working on things, ter- cutting bicycles together and just doing whatever you could do, especially growing up with friends in high school and stuff. We did all kinds of freaking weird mechanical yeah, things. So. Yeah, yeah. It was always something. I was always around a wrench. I was always around a toolbox. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed being around gearheads in high school. You know, oh, it yeah. was, it was great because yeah. you know, the, the same, the same aspects of being a kid, like you not really understanding consequences and you get this kind of freedom, this liberation from yeah. like, from that. And then 100. you, you add that to like trades work and like you get really creative. Oh, absolutely. And then also <laughs> It's a different kind of trouble too. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you go out and you mess with your car and you break down. You got to walk home. Yeah. So it's, it's a lesson. And when you get home, you, your mom and dad want to beat the crap out of you because you broke down and left your car on the side of the road. And so I mean, it's you, it's a lesson learned. And and, and Is that also, a thing? oh yeah, Does that, that happened to you. Uh, yeah, a few times. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with Sunplex, but I got I've, I've had to yeah. walk home from Sunplex several times. And I lived by the high school at the time, so like I left a, a Ford Probe little. out there. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. I, I bought a '98 Ford Probe for forty dollars and two 10-inch Sony Explode speakers. <laughs> That's speakers are worth more than car. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it didn't have a power steering pump, but yeah, I, I think it was a 98 Ford Probe. That's nice. And uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I bought it, I think, from the Austins. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Yeah, I, Sunplex has um, had, had a lot of memories of my life. Um, yeah, that's a lot of a lot of lessons learned at old good, good old Sunplex. It was a good time. I, oh, I, I guarantee you that probe's still out there, crushed, probably oh, in mud. There's a lot of my memories and past of certain vehicles left out there somewhere at some point. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears out there. Just still, <laughs> it's like you know you like to sing in river, the whole Indian singing. You go out there, you hear all the Ocean Springs high school kids whispering in the wind. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, that's all you're going to hear. Yeah. Se- several, several times I get in trouble with the police and stuff out there and mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. home, ride homes from cops from the mom's house. And Hell oh, yeah. yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> stuff you learn today not to do. And I hope your kids don't do it. But yeah. Yeah. Isn't that strange? You know, like, <sighs> like you're kind of proud of it, but, but at the same time, like, you yeah. know, you, you don't want your kids to like be proud of it, like have to be proud right. of it later so, on so in life. It, it's weird. Cause like, I, I, I'm, I love the dad stories, you know, like I always like, well, you know, when I was your age, this is what I was doing and I'll be talking. I look over my son's shoulder and mom's going, no, no, <laughs> don't you tell him that. Cause he instantly, my son is the outgoing. He's going to do it. Like, you know, we used to, you know, talk about like, oh, we used to do bicycles with this and this. And then the next day he's out there doing it. You're like, oh gosh. Here it goes. Like I'm, re- I'm going to relive all bad time through my life because of you. Thank you. <laughs> I think, I think you should be proud of that, man. Because because like, yeah. to to some degree, you're 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 talking about a mistake that you made, and your your kid so wants to emulate you that he's he's willing to make the same mistakes in order to trans transformate himself to be more like you. Yeah, that that's a good way to look at it. I mean. I- I'm never, you know, he may, that's the thing about, you know, as a parent now, you're like, as, you know, when you get in trouble as a kid, your parents get mad at you. Yeah, the only thing you think about is like, God, I just got yelled at. It sucks. Why did I get yelled at? And hopefully you grasp the fact of why you got yelled at. Most of the time you don't. <laughs> no, Until you no. get older and you're like, this is why they freaking drug me around the room yeah. or whatever, yeah. obviously. Not literally, Mom, I didn't, you didn't drag me around the room. I was just, you know. <laughs> figure of speech. But um, <laughs> the thing is, is, I mean, now it's like, you get your kid does something and you're like, stop, don't do that. And then the next day they do the same exact thing. Yeah. And you're like, why can't you listen? And then you're like, well, I, 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 I didn't listen either. So it's a, it, yeah, I, I get, it's, it's a weird thing of understanding why parents do it. Now that you're a parent, you understand. So yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it's a cool um, theory, but um, no, that's, I don't take my kids wrongings as a, you know, you're not in trouble, you know, learn from it, dude. You know, it's what, what did you do wrong? Exp- understand what you did wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, um, it's, you know, my wife is like, why did you make that big ramp? Let him jump off from the bus. Cause my kids like BMX, like we go to the skate park, the oh, yeah. and all that stuff. And he never got baseball and never liked football. So, Hey, let's get a bicycle and start ramping it. And so yeah. that's what he does. So at home, I'm, you know, I'll build some stuff out of metal and let him ramp it. And I was like, you know, it's getting too big. And you know, I was like, well, if he breaks his leg, he'll learn not to land that way next time. And then she looked at me like, I'm crazy. And I was like, well, he's going to do it whether we want to or not. But and like, I've, I learned this thing a long time ago. Not a long time ago. I say a long time. It's been 11 years. I think it's a long time ago with kids. Um, it's out of sight, out of mind. When they're yeah. out of your sight, you're out of their mind. Yeah. They don't care anymore. So they're going to do it no matter what. So I'd rather let them do it right in front of me than trying to go down to the, ba- to the baseball field, ride down the bleachers there. You know, we can make some bleachers here and you can ride down them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, yeah, it's life lessons are great. So you got to learn them. I mean. Yeah, exactly. I, <clears throat> I think. There's, there's this idea of, like, the overbearing mother and the tyrannical father, you know, like, too much control from a father and, and, and too, much, too much care from a mother are, 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 are equally as bad, you know? And, and I got a lot of friends that are, are, are the overprotective father, and the mother is one they're like. So, it, I mean, I guess it yeah, can go yeah, either yeah. way. But um, it, it's definitely a fine line on where you draw of when to be overprotective and when not to be. 
Yeah. I mean, my wife kind of, my wife and I argue all the time and she brought a list later and kind of give you a bump rub. Like, why would that? But anyway, like the other day, for example, we were, um, walk across the parking lot at Walmart and my kids were kind of running around in front of the buggy and the car backed out. Well, my son went one way and my daughter just kind of like just stopped. And I said, move, move. And finally I just yelled. My wife's like, you know, everybody's looking at you. I was like, well, I'd rather yell as loud as I can and not let my daughter get hit by a car. So, I mean, it's one of the simple things, but that's that fine line. You got to learn when to draw, when not to draw. So, well, and, and I think, I th- I think to be raised properly, you, you, you've got to have a bit of both, you know, and, and it's yes. metered. And it's not like I, I hate when people talk about balance. It's not balance. It's, it's, it's equilibrium. That's, right. that, that's what it is. It's not equal of both. It's the right amount of each at, in the right yeah, situation. It's like a gyroscope. It's got to spin properly for it to stay balanced. I yeah. mean, it, it, there is no equal. Like you said, there's no such thing as equal. I mean, yeah. you can overload the scale too easy to call it equal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a fine line and you're going to cross that line. So, and, yeah. and don't be freak out when you do. I mean, that's all part of it. I mean, there's no such thing as like there, everybody says there's no book on parenting and there's not, I mean, it's, yeah. it's every day. It's a practice you learn. I mean, I don't care. You can go to somebody that has a child this bit, had a child your, your children's age, but and talk a little bit, but no child's the same and no child acts right. So that's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, and, and, and there's an element too, like people, ha- people are, um, well, kids have to have to discover that line for themselves. There's a, there's an element of self self discovery, and so kids have to be able to confront the dangers of the world to some degree. And I, your role as a parent is, I, I I think, you know, I'm not a parent, but um, from my experience is is that you train them well enough to confront the dangers of the world so that they can make the right decision on the margin of error. Right. And it's, it's kind of funny. We'll go back to your last interview with Patrick. You know, he talked about um, boot camp. You know, at, yeah. They teach you A, B, C, D. Mm-hmm. But once you get to actual after that, you, yeah. your, your actual training, they're like, no, you can scratch all that. Forget about it. So, yeah, your parents teach you this, this, and this, and this. Yeah. But when you actually become a parent, you can forget everything because <laughs> it's, it's over with, start over from scratch. Yeah, I mean, and then it, it, when, while having a kid, while you're you know while, while you're in the pregnancy stage, you know people are like, oh, get ready for this, get ready for that, and you're like, yeah, that's fine. And then like, and you get nightmares about like people talking, about, oh, my kid cried for like 24 hours, seven days this week, never stopped, he had colic, you know, and all this horrible stuff, and acid reflux, and blah 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 blah. Um, and then it's like either you get it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I feel for him now. And then, or like, you're, you have a great, like my son, when he was first born, he slept like a rock. So like all my parents, like my mom was like, oh, you scream for like days for the first week or two. And I was like, and I get my kid out and it's like, oh, and there's nothing wrong. Yeah. And like, oh, this is great. I can sleep for the first night and everything like that. Everything's good. Uh, my daughter comes and it's like all hell in the mornings and stuff like that. So like, again, you can, whatever you're taught, you can forget. So you, you got to deal with it as it goes every yeah. day. So it, it's fun. It, it's, I, I like the challenge. That's the most challenging thing in the world, I can say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, man. Like, people are, are, are so complex. Like, the idea that, that one person's experience are, are, are going to be the same experiences that you, oh, you're, yeah. you're going to have are, are, are kind of asinine. I mean, people like to pontificate and say, like, oh, well, yeah, you know, you're going to deal with this. You're going to deal with that. And then, like, that often happens with me about various things. And I'm like, well, m- maybe not. You know, we're different. There's literally an infinite number of possibilities and an, in, an infinite number of sets of possibilities, you know? Absolutely. It's, it's always that what if factor. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's cool if I get it. What if, I mean, yeah. if I don't, what if, you know? Yeah. So, well, here, here's the thing too. If they give you advice based on something, they say you're, you're going to do it and it doesn't happen. They've given you no advice. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. You wasted your time talking to me. I'm a few brain cells short now. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the best thing is just like, ah, it's gonna be tough. Well, Good luck. It's like, so my, my wife's grandparents, they, um, 
uh, she has, um, they had seven siblings. So she has seven aunts and uncles. Mm. So, um, you know, but uh, he's 80 something years old. So at that time and back in that day and their, in their era, that was normal to have that many kids. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and my wife and I had, um, we had our first child, I don't, you know, before we got married and then we got married, but you know, then when our daughter came along after we got married and, um, he, her grandfather pulled me aside one day and I kind of, I, I kind of laughed out loud at him. He says, you know, you, you know, Heath, now you got two kids. Might be time to think about slowing down. I said, Bud, you had seven kids, man. <laughs> are you the are you the pot I mean, or kettle here? Right. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things. Don't take it the wrong way, but if menopause would have kicked in, you'd probably you'd probably have more. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you you fertile. Right, 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 man. Thank God you didn't sleep around on nobody. You'd have kids everywhere. I know, I know. Yeah, seriously. So, so, so back to your work. Sure. Um, is there something that excites you about about transmissions? Because the little that I know, I, it, it's an. First of all, we can start at the beginning. The vapor lock in the in the in the torque converter is is damn fascinating. I, I could not imagine who came up with that idea. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, you know, I don't quite. I mean, I, I've only got like I said, eleven years in the business in the industry so far, and I still don't know anything about anything really. And that's what I always tell everybody. You know, especially like out somewhere, like, hey, you work on transmissions? Like, yeah, I do, but I don't know anything about them. I, I just, I mean, so, which obviously is, I can't, I say it's not, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lie, but not a lie. It's um, a humble approach. Very much. Yeah. Um, because I don't, I don't know anything. It's a lot of people in the transmission industry look at transmissions like doctors. You never, you're never going to know everything. Mm-hmm. And you're all, you're, it's, it's a practice. Again, because that comes out to a practice. But yeah, it's um, the engineering of a transmission. I, I would love to find the guy that actually designed it. I would, yeah. I would shake his hand because it's, phenomenal of how things work yeah. especially now that i'm into the building aspect of them like certain ones that i'm building um at first you know the it was a let's see it was intimidating at first because like you hear all the like it's a just a regular mechanic you hear the horror stories about transmissions are so confusing and so confusing yeah and then yeah they terrify me at like 19 years old i started that's when i started at 19 years old mm-hmm. when i started doing transmissions and then started working there and obviously i was just that was the little bitch boy in the shop you know mm-hmm. i swept floors cleaned the, you know pressure wash cases and cleaned certain transmission parts and then um you slowly get into it and at first it was like really exciting because i'm watching my father-in-law and his brother build these transmissions and then it's like they come in you got to push them down the driveway and then you're driving out with them it's the coolest thing in the world um and it's like you learn the intricacy. It's like you got to wash your hands like doctors every time you mess one because something the size of a grain of salt will destroy a transmission. Really? It gets in a valve and it's like it locks down. And if you don't catch it fast enough, it starts burning up clutches and drums. And it's a trickle down effect. Best definitely like a pyramid scheme in a transmission, I guess you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but yeah, it's now that I'm building and I'm starting to understand the engineering aspect of it. Like, you know, this planetary spins this drum and then if you put the band on it, it locks this down and spins the input shaft and it goes out to a different drum, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it it goes through a phase of tr- when I was with the transmissions and I guess every I've asked certain transmission mechanics this over the years because, you know, we go to seminars and I ask all these older transmission mechanics from different places and absorb as much knowledge as I can from different people. Um, and they say, you're going to go through a phase where this is the coolest job in the world. And then you're going to go through a phase where you just want to say, screw this. And I want to go be a door greeter at Walmart because it's like so frustrating sometimes. I mean, like I got one at my shop right now that's not even my fault. But the transmission's destroyed. Torque converter from the company that we get them from, it did something. So thus wiped my transmission out. So it's a, um, it's a love-hate relationship. But yeah. I do thoroughly enjoy the aspect of working on something like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like an engine where if you know, you, hell, you can shut a cylinder down and it'll run on seven cylinders, no mm-hmm. problem. Uh, it might not be running great, but it's gonna right, run, you're right. gonna get home. You know, if you lose third gear, you're not gonna go very far. Mm-hmm. I don't care, because I mean, at a certain point, it's gonna, within a few miles, it's gonna start going through the system. So it's definitely a cool, and like you said, like vapor lock, I've still got to figure that out. Um, yeah. I'll have to like ask one of our torque converter guys to send me a diagram on how that, under, the understanding on that or something like that. Yeah, uh, as, as, as I understand, and I'll try to explain from the perspective of being a moron about it, but uh, <clears throat> so within the torque converter, because of its shape, right. the, the hydraulic fluid is pumped through the tra- from the transmission, or no, that's not right. I think it's centrifugal force from the engine running at idle spins the torque converter, and the fluid inside there, because of the way it's shaped, mm-hmm. it creates this like vapor lock, and since you know, fluids don't compress, and and, right. and and the hydraulic fluid that's that's used in there is very specific for that purpose. It doesn't compress, so it essentially forms a coupling on itself. It's called a liquid coupling, oh, and that's so cool. that's what that because there's no clutch between the engine and the transmission. It's right. just the torque converter, that's and so basically at idle, it's not enough to spin the transmission. So the torque converter is spinning at the same rate as the engine, but then once it once you throttle up. It builds that pressure within the transmission, so the transmission can actually operate and power the yeah, rear it's, wheels. It's cool because, like, it's crazy. You know, everybody, you know, the transmission needs the motor, and the motor needs the transmission. Yeah, it, it's a it's a very intricate thing, and it's you know, like a with a standard, you can eliminate the clutch, and everything's fine and dandy and all. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's a. But I had a, I had a weird problem, man. Uh, I had a '94 uh, Super Duty. Um, this thing had 88,000 original miles on a 7.3. It's a great, great truck. And you might remember this, um, but, but basically I got to a point I was driving and I couldn't shift out of a gear. Like I couldn't come out of the gear. I remember that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to stop. Um, and we were near the house luckily, but we, we came to a red light. I turned it off. Right. And then I was able to pull it out of gear. And then I started essentially in first gear. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, Luckily, I had the clutch uh, pedal bypassed on this truck, you know, the, the uh, clutch pedal switch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I could start it up, and, of course, we kind of jolted forward, and luckily the starter was strong enough to get it moving. Um, but then we got home in first gear. Man, I, I dropped the transmission. I even opened, the, opened up the casing, you know, everything looked fine. There, there, there wasn't anything visibly wrong, you know, with the gears. Uh, and I replaced the um, master cylinder and... Uh, what I realized was there, it didn't have the throw to move the clutch enough. You know, the fork on the clutch, right? right? right. So um, I ended up having it trucked over to a transmission shop, and I was like, look, I don't want to, you know. <laughs> I, I've gone through a master cylinder already. I've dropped this thing twice. So, And as it turns out, it was the pedal that needed to be rebuilt. Apparently, there were bushings oh, absolutely. in the pedal, yeah, and yeah. I had never considered that. You know, and it's, it's funny. You know, I, I got into... Um the import stuff here at about two years ago. I bought okay. a little, I bought a little uh, 93 Honda Civic. Why would um, you do that? Well, you know, it was, <laughs> all right, so. Um, well, they're really easy to work and, 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 and cheap to rebuild, too. And, and they can be fast. That, yeah. Like, yeah. extremely fast. Um, and it was a, a, little, a lot of it had to do with, uh, we were, uh, it, I got it from a really good friend of mine. Um, he already had a lot of work done, too. He swapped the motor out for a bigger motor and did some work to the okay. motor um, and built the motor at right. So it was, it's a, it was a fast little running car when I first got it. It needed some body work, and which it still does, because I got it, and then COVID hit, and like everything came to a yeah. stop as far as special side projects. I'm like, obviously, can't go, hey, baby, I want to go buy a new turbo for my car. And she's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> screw that. We might not have rent tomorrow, so yeah. um, everybody goes on lockdown. But um, so, but it was a thing where, um, 
I was over at the house one day and um, my buddy was working on it and um, I was helping him get some things fixed on it. Like it had a um, problem with eating um, CV joints out of it on the driver's side real bad. Okay. So I was helping him diagnose anything like that. And he's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to sell the thing. And I was like, well, if you ever do decide to sell it, and I said, let me know. And I said, I'll, I'll, I'll take first dibs on it. Well, it was like a four or five months later, I get a text and he's like, if you want the car, come get it. He, I said, well, how much? So anyway, we went and talked about figures, stuff like yeah. that. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't need another project. At the time, I still have my Land Rover from high school. Mm-hmm. I got my Dodge from high school and I'm working on all this stuff and I'm like eh, nonstop. And uh, my son goes, get it, dad. Yeah, you know, I like the car. So it was kind of one of those, hey, dad, you know. So yeah, uh, yeah came home with a Honda Civic. And, um, but yeah, it's, um, there. It's an interesting theory on how it, the Hondas are different than everything else, but the the transmissions in those are are um, are the well, linkage. little package thing, right? Everything's yeah. weird, but yeah. the I learned on the linkages on those. It's all mechanical linkages, okay. and it's still got a hydraulic clutch and everything. Yeah, but from the you know, being a front wheel drive, it's got big linkage bars going from the trans the shifter all the way up, and the bushings went out on it, and like you couldn't drive it home. Like we ended up um, getting underneath the car. And I like tore the shifter apart and everything like that. And, and I basically the same issue which you did, like yeah. just wouldn't work. So you got to buy like a $5 bushing kit and put it all back together and boom, everything's back on the road again. That's so, crazy. Right. I mean, I'm used to like the rear, the standard transmissions and Corvettes and Camaros and stuff like that, where it's straight to the transmission hub and it's mm-hmm. just a bar and that's it. Yeah. You know? So yeah, those linkages are interesting and standards on how they function and just one little nylon bushing wears out and everything binds down and no longer works. So. Yeah. Well, what's crazy, too, about a manual transmission also is, like, how it shifts gears. Like, yeah, the primary gears and all that stuff. Yeah, and it's and this is my understanding from, like, YouTube and, you know, just just, just reading this. This may not be right, but um, basically the way you shift gears inside the transmission, you're basically moving the gear itself mm-hmm. onto the next gear, and yeah. it's becoming the same speed. You know, so it's, so it's literally spinning and contacting the surface of the other gear, and then the the fork or whatever is moving into the next gear. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, like again, every, they're all different. Most of them have a, a primary gear shaft and uh-huh. it's got your first, second, third, fourth, however many gears. Yeah. And then you got your secondary shaft on top, which is your shifting gears. And they just literally just, they just bump over to the next gear. Um, you think that's interesting. Go, go look up the uh, inside the internals of a CVT transmission, like a Nissan or something like that. The newer ones. Yeah. It's yeah. a very, very intricate. It's got conjugal gears. So this got a big metal ribbon belt that just like, so you got two conjugal gears that are opposite from each other. The cones go down and this gear just walks up. Really? Those belts to, um, the belt walks up the gears to, um, change to the gears. That's why you don't like a Nissan Altima. You don't uh-huh. feel them shift. They just, they're like a boat. They just, they yeah, just go yeah. forward or like some of the old four wheelers. But yeah, they have conjugal gears and this big ribbon metal ribbon belt. And it just walks up these gears. It's really, really scary. And oh, I gotta check that out. Yeah. Um, when they first came out, people started out what they call a step motor, which is a little motor that it's kind of like a bicycle. It just picks the built up yeah. moves up the gears um <clears throat> that sounds like what's in what's in my wife's car out there because I, I i think it uses like little servos right and so you have servos for for each individual gear that advance it yeah well i mean 90 percent of every trans automatic transmission is going to have a, a shift solenoid or something like, or electronic servo to engage the yeah. valve to shift like the shift gear but with the cbt's it it has a valve body with i guess you want to say shift solenoids or servos uh-huh. but in the end it's it's kind of like a 10-speed bicycle that has that little kick out lever Oh, really? And it's just electronically saying, okay, you step to this gear and you step to this gear and it's just smooth transition over and over again. What kind of, what vehicle does your wife have? Uh, 2013 Hyundai Elantra. Yeah. And more than likely it has the uh, yeah. CVT style transmission yeah. in it. And when they first came out there, but you know, people started calling. And so we, 
we order a book from one of our service guide companies just so we can look at it. And my boss is like, well, here, you're new. You're going to, I'm not going to learn this. I'm going, I'm 50 something years old. I'm getting ready to retire. You, you, you learn it. And books like an encyclopedia. I'm well, like, good. You've night. just become a specialist. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we got one from this. We have, a, um, the auto salvage that, um, up in Woolmarket, they're, um, family of my, uh, in-laws. So we went up there and got an old wrecked car and found one with it in it and pulled it out and bring it to the shop just to take it apart and experiment on it. And we took it apart and me and my father and I looked at each other and went, yeah, no, <laughs> like this is, we're going to pass on this one. I mean, there's, I guess there's certain things where you learn just no, just, just to save everybody's time of headache and stress and going to the mental Institute. That's not the one we're going to mess with. Oh, really? But you know, it's a crazy thing is this is also the industry of transmissions, certain transmissions in certain shops. They don't work. They don't build each other. They don't build them. Like, you know, um, even the few local shops down here, there are certain shops that won't build the transmission, certain transmissions that we do build and vice versa. Um, like the CVTs, for example, um, since we don't build them in house, we have um, a resource. We resource out to a company that's um, all over the United States, um, but they build like 10,000 transmissions a month, like just booming them out. And they but you got to think they have 15, 20 different warehouses across the United States and mm-hmm. it's just boom. But they build the CVT transmissions for us and we just install them for the customer's cars. It was their prices would be cheaper than ours to build it if we built it in house and they get a better warranty. So, yeah, that makes sense. We have access to it all. But so, um, but yeah, the CVTs are definitely a very, very step above the world of that. But transmissions are dying. Um, electric cars are starting to be the new thing and there's no transmissions in electric cars. Yeah. So, I mean, um, we went to our last seminar and they're like, well, you're going to see transmission industry last maybe another 25, 30 years and that's it. So there's no school for it. You can't go to WyoTech and learn transmissions. They, they touch on the basics of it, but as far as fully rebuilding every transmission out there, there's, you know, there's, they're a dying breed. Torque converter, for example. Um, they just wrote like, we have the, um, uh, uh ATSG, Automatic Transmission Service Guide. That's one of the big companies that we go to for information and stuff like that. These guys are geniuses. Mm-hmm. Ford GM pays them to calibrate things for them. <laughs> Excuse me. But um, they did a little write-up that they said that the average transmission shop has that X amount of time left, but the torque converter builders. There's literally like maybe five top builders in the world that's left, and they're retiring one after another. Wow. And they're not putting anybody in their place to learn how they build them. So the, we've, we've seen that over time. The quality of torque converters have gone downhill. So we're having to reach out to other companies that are building them better. Yeah. But as far as racing converters, yeah, the, the guy that Bill used to build stall speeds down here in this area, mm-hmm. I think he retired. So mm-hmm. now these companies are having to go off, you know, which now most of them are like CNC cut and big machines and all that stuff. But the guy yeah. that specs them and the guy that makes sure it's exactly the certain stall that it needs to be and bends his little fins and stuff like that and gets mm-hmm. them set. He's gone. Wow. So that's crazy, man. Yeah, that's, that's, but that's the, that's, that's what technology does for you. Right. Right. So the thing is about that though, is now there, somebody explained this to me that, okay, so technology's taken over certain things and like factory and stuff. You don't have that guy that's watching the door panels get made. There's a machine yeah. just doing all he's doing is standing there now. Well, when that machine breaks, who's got to, who's going to be fixing it? Mm-hmm. So we're does we're developing a whole new field of mechanical workforce to fix yeah. these machines that are taking over the jobs of the lower end factory workers and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, 
it's interesting. I mean, it, it's it's just tough too because, like, say say the individual that is um, you know in their late forties, right, and they're getting ready to retire, and then the industry is removed from them. It's not likely that individual right. is going to learn an entirely new trade. Well, that's that's know? like in my situation. Like we, we went to that seminar, and the guy's like, "Well, you got 25, 30 years left." Well, I'm thirty one. You're talking right at the end of my retirement. Yeah. So what do I do after that? I mean, do I retire early? Well, hopefully you build a network right, and, and, right. and you can become a, a, a sort of niche specialized person. Exactly. You know, exactly. And, um, and right I mean, out the remaining years. They're always going to be there. I mean, you're always going to, I mean, I don't think used cars are going anywhere. The, the market and the price of a new vehicle is just so astronomically expensive now. Yeah. So I think you're going to see the boom of people buying used cars again. Um, I mean, so we'll see. But I mean, you got to look at like woodwork, for example. Um, you can go to Walmart and buy, not Walmart, but Lowe's and buy, well, I should probably get on Walmart now with all the stuff they sell online, yeah. but you can go to Lowe's and buy prefab cabinets cheaper than you can pay someone to build you a set of custom cabinets just about. It's, it's interesting. What I've noticed is that the difference in the price of something that you made prefab and say what it would cost for me to produce it right. is really the difference in labor. Exactly. You know, so, so like if I build like, uh, what's a good example? Um, well, it doesn't matter anything. If if I build a table, it's going to be about a hundred, hundred fifty bucks in in materials. But you can go buy a prefab one for about a hundred fifty bucks, right. you know. But again, the quality's worse. And in order for me to sell that, I've got to really reduce my labor. Absolutely, and that's and that's also the thing in our industry now is like, for example, people are learning that you can go online and buy a transmission for X amount of dollars with a nationwide four hundred thousand mile warranty. Yeah. Or you can go to come to us and yeah, we can build it, but it's going to be three, four, five hundred dollars more. Yeah. And most of the time they go with that because of the warranty they offer. Mm-hmm. And like we can't offer a nationwide warranty at a little small local shop. There's only four yeah. guys there. So if they go to Nebraska and break down, I'm not driving to Nebraska to get your car, bringing right. it back. Or, or, or paying the service bill. Yeah. Just as much as building the transmission. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, it, that's the next problem is, is it's in like you, it's all about labor, but it's the mainstream market is killing the, the trade industry as well. It, it's, I definitely agree that, that it's hurting the trade industry. What YouTube's also doing is is um, kind of helping people, an entire generation, rediscover trades. Yes, you know? and, and actually, thanks to COVID, that helps out a lot too. Yeah. People are built making new things at home, and that's cool. I mean, but as as somebody who who works in in the trade industry now, now granted, I. The people who can go on YouTube and look up plans mm. to build a table, and the people that can go on YouTube and rebuild a transmission, <laughs> you know, the, there's a there's far exponentially <laughs> less people that can build a transmission off of YouTube. I'm somebody who's very capable, scared the sh- scared the shit out of me to do it, you yeah. know. So I, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's funny you say that. We get that probably probably three or four times a year. Somebody calls up, and you can hear the panic in their voice on the phone, like just sheer like uh, my, my <laughs> wife's transmission went out, um, it lost reverse. And um, I got on YouTube, and as soon as I say YouTube, you're like, holy shit, this is going to be the most fucked up thing I've ever seen in my life. It's going to be missing parts, so you're, and you're like, not going to yeah. really understand. And you're like, so. go, go on. And they're like, well, uh, I thought I could pull it apart and, and rebuild it for her, and, and now she's got to go back to work, and it's Monday, and she's pissed. I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't like that alternator you changed on you for you on YouTube no, video. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, so, yeah, we get that a lot. Or my another one of my favorites is in the industry is – um. Uh, the people call and they automatically know they know what's wrong with it. Like they're telling the people that's had a shop since my, my, my father-in-law, my father-in-law's dad opened that shop in 1963. 
they took it over in 2006, right after the hurricane. Yeah. And they've been running it ever since. So, I mean, you got 50 something years, 50 plus years of just strictly automatic transmissions. Right. They know their shit. Yeah. Um, and people call it like, oh, it's, it's the torque converter. I know it's the torque converter. How do you know it's torque converter? Oh, I, uh, I, I got a friend that builds motors for a living and he said it's torque converter. Okay. Well, how many miles on the car? It's got 700, you know, like exaggerated, but it's got 300 something thousand miles. I guarantee it's not just a torque converter. It's not just it's a, not, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it might, it might be that 10% too. 10% of it is a torque converter. Yeah. The other 85% is going to be somewhere in your transmission. I promise you. Um, so yeah. And that, that's my favorite thing is, but the, but going back to the YouTube thing. Yeah. I looked up a video on YouTube and it's like, oh shit, it's, it's going to be bad. And every now and then the guy, you built, you tear it down, you look through it after the guy, and you're like, you know what? He almost got it. Almost got it. Oh, well, yeah. You know, I'll shake your hand. You almost got it. But. Do you ever go back to those people and say, look, man, I tore it apart. Like, you were you were close. Oh, man, you were, you were yeah, so absolutely. close. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll give him credit. You were close. But the thing that always kills him is uh, the, the way the bearings go in the depth of the bushings and shafts because you'll block mm-hmm. off a, a feed hole to one of the transmissions to one of the lines and mm-hmm. it burnt, you know there's no fluid flow no lubrication or clutch clearance like that's the biggest thing you get your drum your, your clutch is too tight in the drum and they're not spinning so they're just they're riding on the steels and they burn so yeah um and people call too also and they're like hey I, you know I'm, I'm a do-it-myself diy guy at home you know i got an old 60s model whatever it's got a, a whatever transmission in it mm-hmm. um think Oh, I just want to do, redo the valve body and freshen it up a little bit. What do you recommend? Blah, 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 blah. And one of the main things, first thing I question is, do you understand how to read a de- inside-outside depth micrometer? And he's like, and if they say, what is that? I almost want to hang the phone up. Because if you don't have, if you don't have the, if you can't read the clearances, you're not going to make it. It's not going to work for you. Yeah, so, I would say that, that, that to me is this idea but behind like knowledge and wisdom right 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 so 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 yeah you might know how to put it back together but you're not wise enough to know the specific specifications that things have to be to goodness yeah well it's kind of like i don't know if you remember in middle school i don't know if you did this in in our our middle school because we all went to the same middle school obviously but um they pulled a bunch of kids to the gym one day or the cafeteria one day and um the teach so one lady hand around this worksheet and it says follow directions carefully before you even start the, the actual worksheet so, you know, and obviously middle school, who gives a crap? You're not going to read the instructions properly. Right. So you read the first, and the first instruction was complete paperwork, stand up when you're done. So you start reading down the questionnaire and it says, you know, tap your head, your hand on your head. You know, it makes everybody like a fool. Well, at the end of the day, at the end of it, it says, read the bottom of the page before you do the answers. And it said, don't do any of this. Just sit there quietly and let everybody else act stupid. And so that's where it goes nowadays yeah. of following instructions is it's, you can't physically with transmissions especially you have to go through step one two three four five you can't there is no well i can like build a bookshelf it throw the paperwork on the side and figure out where a goes but or like um you know this 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 happens to me a lot of times (laughs) if if uh i need to do something and so i've got uh all data diy for for my cars are you familiar with with, yeah 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 yeah. so um you can you can buy it for your specific car yeah it's like 15 bucks or so um And so I'll follow the instructions and then I'll read through the instructions and then I'll kind of look at the car and like what, okay, this, this talking about that, that, that. And then I mostly go off of memory, but inevitably there's a step that's like gain access by removing this component. And I'm like, man, those are four bolts. I don't want to take off. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just effort past that, scratch my arms all up. (laughs) Right. Well, that's the beauty of, I've learned of mechanics. You know, it's like my father-in-law, when I first started out and got, like I said, I was the little bitch boy running around sweeping floors, whatever, whatever, which is cool. I was, you know, I had no problem with that. You all, you know, that's one thing, the generation, the new generation, 
if people forget, you got to start at step one. Yeah, you've got to subordinate yourself to the process. Right. Yeah. So, but anyway, you know, and then after I graduated from being a sweeper boy, I went to um, what they call R and R work, was remove, remove and replace. So, yeah. I pulled the transmission out, gave it to my father in law. He rebuilt it. I put it back. Um, but you know, he taught you me how to pull certain things out, yeah. certain transmissions. Mm-hmm. And he was always like, "You got to pull. You have to pull this out, or you, you without." And you know, like after I started doing it myself, you're like, "To hell with that. That's like an extra forty five minutes to pull that part off." No, it's coming out. Well, then you start breaking shit, and you're yeah. like, "Oh, that's why you pull that out." Ah, <sighs> oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's why he told me to spend the extra five minutes to unplug that one wire. Yeah. So nothing specific comes comes to mind for me, but but this is a common you know, feeling that I've had what we're talking about, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll just, I'll try and, I'll try and cut, cut some corners here or there right. just to save time. But inevitably it always costs me more time. No, and, and there's some things you can get away with cutting corners, obviously, and especially yeah. the mechanics. And that's one thing, that's what diversifies them, especially auto mechanics. I love because, you know, you can put 15 master mechanics in a row and ask them to how to take apart one thing. And they're going to, it's all going to be correct but their steps are totally different. Yeah. And yeah. I love that as far, you know, yep. even I'm pretty sure woodworking is the same way. If you yes. ask someone, how do you do a, a certain joint? They're going to say, well, I use this tool instead of this tool. And you're yeah. like, well, well and there's I, so many different joints you can do. Right. Yeah, and exactly. it's like, well, how do you even do? And my thing is, is when you ask someone, uh, someone that's in their trade and you say, well, how do you do this? And they explain it to you. And you're like, how do you get away with that? Cause like my knowledge is not, I, I don't see how that works. Oh, oh, and, I got you know, you. And, and you're like, there's no, like, how are you using this particular, particular tool, which has nothing to do with that particular job? And how are you getting away with doing it? Yeah. And then you go back to your own shop and you start messing around. You're like, oh, wow, yeah. that's pretty cool. Or, I didn't or, know you could do that way. Or my favorite is like, uh, if I can't, if I can't get a bolt off, you know, I just can't. And, and again, there's, there's oh. a number of ways. Like when you talk oh, about boy. trying to gain, gain leverage, like the first time, Oh, here's a good example. I was I was trying to remove a a, a cross member uh, to pull the transmission out on the truck that lost the um, lost the drive shaft because 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 I'm cheap, so I'm going to drop the transmission transfer case because it ruined the housing, you know. So I was dropping them, but uh, I couldn't. Man, I couldn't get it right. But I had to be under there pushing the socket on the bolt. Otherwise it's going to, you know, come off. And so I, I had to get my wife out there and I got like this six, you know, six foot pole on a breaker bar, you know, shout out to Archimedes, you know, and the contribution <laughs> of the lever to uh, human society. But, the longer but, the better. but I said, uh, I said, look, all you got to do is just walk this over, walk this over here just to break it loose. And like clockwork, she just like slowly does it. No effort. You know, and, and, and I was like, okay, that's it. She's like, that's what you need my help for? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. She's like, you couldn't do that? <laughs> like, you have no appreciation for what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> I've always said God should have gave us, like, an, an extra arm that comes out, like, six foot, like Inspector Gadget. Yeah. Having a third arm would be great, especially in, like, when you're above your head holding something. And yeah. you drop a tool. And, like, my theory, you know, on the racks and stuff like that, you get a vehicle up in the air, and you're putting something in, and you got to put a bolt in, and that bolt falls. So now you're holding the weight, and you're like, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But uh, leverage is definitely a cool thing. And, and like how to remove a stubborn bolt. There's like a million different processes yeah. of how people do it. Right down to welding, right. welding a wrench to a socket. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I, and one of my favorites is what I call the, my fire wrench is a torch. You know, I bring the, go, get, oh, yeah, go yeah. get the fire wrench. And like my brother-in-law is like, oh, shit. Because like, like anytime I say bring the torch, like he gets he's, he wants to go the other way because it's about to go down. Um, yeah. Watch fire watch and get the torch and you know, uh-huh. we're going to go down with it. Yeah. But yeah, bolts are the mechanic's worst nightmare. I hate 
Yeah. Well, what's what's crazy too? When I was uh, an aircraft mechanic, first of all, in in, in our in our um, like initial training, our our tech school, you spend I think two weeks learning about tools, and then you have a practical like three to four days where you have to learn how to actually use the tools. And Heath, I'm telling you, man, like it's so crazy. Like for me, because I was a mechanic in high school, you know what I mean. Right. I understand how a ratchet a ratchet wrench works. Man, I haven't I'm saying that, <laughs> but uh, I can't say, say it. Time. But I get it. I understand like righty tighty lefty loosey. I I get it. It was hard for me to understand that somebody couldn't understand that. It well, was very difficult. Right. It's funny about that. Um, it's like my really good friend Thomas Capers went off the Coast Guard. Uh-huh. And when he came back, oh, we, yeah. we were talking about that. And he was like, you know, it's funny. He says, one of the, you would think one of the fundamentals of the Coast Guard would be required to know how to swim. He said, you don't have to know how to swim to join the Coast Guard. Mm. I was like, mm, that's, you know, that's kind of a defeating purpose. You're going to be saving all your buddies real quick if they yeah. don't know how to swim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, I can understand that. And, and, you know, I've taught people like my, my I have a nephew. Um, he's 18 now, something like that. When he was in high school, he, he was real big into cars and he got frustrated. I was like, every other day he was calling me cause he's from Hattiesburg. Hey, uh, how, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you do this? I said, bud, you need to learn your tools first. Mm. And it was like, you know, you're teaching that. And then, but he's like, and then you start hanging out with him and it's like, I, just, I guess I just grew up with my, with knowing it before I knew it, I guess you want to say. Yeah. But like, how do you not know how to use just, like you said, a ratchet? It's, it's a simple process. Yeah. But no, it's, it's crazy how people have to be taught certain things that you took for granted in learning is like it was second nature. It's like washing clothes, I guess you want to say. Well, in, in, in the Air Force, they have um, what's called technical orders. And these are basically like the sort of technical manuals on, on how to do stuff, replace a part, whatever. But there's TOs on using tools like there's a to that explains how to use a shovel it's and 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 to me like i can look at a shovel and say it's pretty self-evident you know it's fairly obvious but there's actually instructions to that you know well there's there's like notes and advisories like be sure to look you know not i guess i can understand it from the military training aspect um they're taking a lot of guys from all over the world that yeah the mentality of a lot of people oh my goodness but that's but that kind of goes back to like you know, what we're talking about with, with you raising kids, it's hard for you to like, kind of understand like that you don't understand that you can or can't do this, right. that you kind of don't have the experience yet because you're a kid, right. you know? So, yeah. That's, I mean, I ran into that when I, when I coached basketball this year, you know, we were trying to just get them to do small stuff Oh Lord! and just a simple pick and roll. Like I, I didn't realize how sophisticated that was to a child, to an eight year old. Right. But I, I was actually, I was getting frustrated until I realized like, look, they're, their kids like eight years ago they were nothing oh yeah i, I, I helped um when my son was in kindergarten and te- you know baseball came around we um not no because anyway i helped him coach one of his little league baseball things and it's like you're teaching these kids how to catch a ball and it's like i guess i forgot what it was like to be taught how to catch a ball because yeah. you, you know you're throwing this to this five six year old kid and so there's times like I'm going to get some water. I, I got to go. Like, I got to go sit down for a minute. Here. <laughs> he's, he's having a, he's Johnny, having a crisis. <laughs> yeah, Johnny, go, go, go over there and throw the ball with Timmy for a little bit. Yeah. I, I got to like, because it's like, if you want to teach military how to do combat in arms and dodge bullets, go to five-year-old baseball training and let them throw baseballs at you. <laughs> you, you will learn how to dodge anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I ran into that, you know, a lot within just, well, just teaching period. I mean, um, I forget how I got on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You were talking about bolts. Um, well, we were talking about bolts, but, 
I would take I would take an airman out to a plane and say, "Hey, look, I need you to remove this panel. So get out all these all these screws, right?" And again, I understand like bolts, there's different ways to get out a screw. And they came out, and if a screw is stuck in the Air Force, they don't remove stuck screws. We call a specialist out to do that. Wow. Their entire, right, right, right. So, I so, hate that. I'd hate to have that job. I know. <laughs> like, well, there's a, there's a rift between people who work with what's, what's called sheet, like no wonder sheet metal and metals tech because, yeah. because they do that. But uh, I, I came out there, and I said, uh, how's it going? They said, oh, well, we were only able to get, I think it was like 28 screws um, on the panel. They were only able to get like six. And I said, we're not calling the cheap enough that. Like, like, I'm not making that call. I'm not going to be responsible for making that call. We're not doing that. And I said, let's, let's get on the top of the plane and take a look. And uh, this is the difference between knowledge and, knowledge and experience or wisdom, right? So I go in my bag, and I kept thick rubber bands in there and so because they had stripped them out. And so I had showed them what you can do is you can get a speed handle, put the apex bit uh, on one end, on one side of the rubber right. band, and then put that over the screw and insert it that way to f- allow the rubber to fill the gaps. And I said, look, what, what we're going to do is we're going to tighten it slightly and then loosen it. And again, they don't have that kind of wisdom to know I got every screw up, you know? And I was like, so you learned a lesson. And of course, I kind of shit on them a bit, you know, like, <laughs> because, you because that's called mentorship. Yeah, yeah you got uh, but, uh, but I said, look, in all seriousness, y'all learn something here today. And when you're a supervisor and you're out with somebody, you, you can pay this forward. But you now know for the rest of your life a technique to get at least two techniques to get out stuck screws. Yeah. I, you know, you, we're talking about me and doing transmissions. I give you credit. Airplanes, I mean, it's, there is no mistakes. Well, there's a lot of redundancy. So you, you, you can make mistakes. And, 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 and I made plenty. Um, I've got about a quarter million dollars worth of aircraft damage under my belt. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. That, that's what it's, it's, a, it's a very low margin of error, should I say? Yeah, um, yeah. You know. Well, it's 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 just different. It's it's kind of the same, but but it's different. I mean, you know. Um, but yeah, I guess you. I don't know. I hate it as a. I guess I'd hate as a pilot knowing that your plane's getting worked on and hoping by high school kids. Yeah, hoping it's getting fixed properly because you're yeah. about to take off and go thirteen thousand feet and flew a cruise around forty thousand. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like gonna, six six hundred miles an hour. Right, yeah, and it's, it's, <laughs> some kid on the ground puts in his pocket and pulls out a bolt and he's like, "Oh shit!" And all of a sudden you yeah. see a plane plummeting to earth and you're like, "Well." <laughs> Well, it's 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 actually a point of pride, I think, for, for for most maintainers because there's there's this common sort of, you know, hyperbolic statement that's like, um, it takes a, a high school education to fix what a college education broke. True. You know. True. So. True. <laughs> I, I just you think transmissions are intricate. I'm pretty sure there's you know with airplanes. I mean, there's so many different systems in a plane to work on that it's probably un, unimaginable. Not really, man. Like, like that's the thing. It's, it's, it's all like, it's all fundamentally the same. Like it's all fundamentally this sort of same trades work. I mean, I understand how, how, how gear sets work. So I can understand the accessory drive gearbox on a, on, on a turboprop plane and how you can transfer centrifugal in, energy down to tr- power things like a generator, or a, a, a hydraulic pump. Look, let me tell you something. The coolest thing, mechanical thing I've ever seen in my life is how a plane wobble plate works in a hydraulic pump. What is a wobble plate? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so, so audience, listen carefully. <laughs> imagine, imagine a Gatling gun, right? And so you've got these cylinders, right? In a circle. Well, imagine those are individual pistons, right? And so when the piston drops, fluid comes in, hydraulic fluid, but below that, that Gatling gun, like series of pistons, that round series of pistons is a plate. 
And so as it wobbles, as, it, you, as you change the angle, it changes the depth of the piston, which means you can increase the amount of fluid that goes in there, but you can also increase the pressure that's applied. And then at this angle, as it rolls around the plate, then it pushes the piston back up. And then at a level position, it, there's, there's no movement, so there's zero pressure on the system. That's, yeah, that's an interesting... But um, it's, it's super cool, right? right it's super right. cool it's, for it's like gearhead nerds like us. Right. But, but, but at the same time, it's just pistons. That's all it is. It's just a piston. It's just a servo that controls like that sort of wobble thing right there. That's it. You know, and the electrical systems are DC electrical systems that are powered by an AC generator. Like they're all just basic concepts. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of like I have a, a friend of mine that I just met not too long ago. He is um, actually a nuclear mechanic for the Navy. Yeah, so uh, so he works on the power systems for like subs and well, aircraft carriers. Well, he did for a while. Now, okay. he, um, they they put him down here over the CB base. He had an injury, and they didn't you know the military mm-hmm. didn't feel fit that you know I won't get. I'm pretty sure I won't get detail. I don't want to especially on the air yeah, talking about someone's life. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like HIPAA rules here. So. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so anyway, um, when he first moved down here, I met him because he, he, he in, in a racing real big and has a really cool car and everything like that. And I met him, he had a transmission issue and put it on the Facebook group. But hey, anybody. So I'm contacting him and helping him look at it. We became friends. And then one day we're hanging out as fire. And I said, man, I got to ask you a big question. Why do we have a nuclear specialist on the coast? Because I don't know of any nuclear, especially Navy nuclear on the coast. And he's like, Oh, they're, 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 you know, basically kind of like, I said, okay, I understand. There's some like classified stuff going on, whatever. Oh, blah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I said, can you at least tell me, I said, do I need to know and worry about the death zone and where it's at? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, is it in Pascagoula or is it in Gulfport? Well, just, right. just let me know where it's yeah. at. So I'd, I'd wait, I know which way to get on the interstate and go. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, no, man, that's nothing like that. He said, you know, the long story and told me the story and everything like that. I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. But um, it's, He's starting, to, and I asked him to you know, explain a little bit of how nuclear energy works. That's because that's, that's his side of it. He's like, "Well, I'm a high paid plumber." He's like, "Because that's really you know most of the way nuclear works is the exchange of all this and you know." Yeah. But it's once he gets down to it, it's a pretty simple process of yeah. how the nuclear power and stuff works. Mm-hmm. And um, but I I don't know. But the planes, like you were explaining, it's a it's it looks complicated, and it always amazes me. Um, you know, you see this big giant thing float through the sky yeah. and. I guess it's not that intricate to, in the well, end. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's got its complexities for sure. I mean, yeah. you know, um, so the horizontal stabilizer on a plane, that's, that's on, on the T-tail. That's the top T part. That moves. Like the entire surface moves up and down. Oh, okay. And so the way that does that, does that is by a massive, like, um, uh, screw drive uh, system and so there's there's essentially just an all threaded rod that's like this you know huge oh, okay. about a like foot a giant diameter. worm gear in a sense yeah exactly and and then you just have you know a, a worm gear essentially that just kind of drives it a real fancy and rack down. and pinion steering yeah exactly that's exactly <laughs> what it is so um, yeah man it's it's like it's cool stuff uh, but like yeah it's just you know it's basic mechanical concepts that are repeated over and over it's a bunch of little little fundamental steps you know, that's, that's right now it's complex uh, with my job i've been you know building in 11 years um i'm pretty sure with like any job that you've ever had you get to a phase you're just like i'm getting bored yeah and then all of a sudden like something just thrown through a loop and you're like well okay i can respect it again um so but on the airplane subject so you got the picture in the back with the uh did you ever have any experience working on the um, a10s no i worked the a10s as far as air traffic control but okay. that's an that's an amazing plane oh yeah. uh, so you're talking about we can get on that subject a little bit when i was in um after high school i went to work on a job site with my dad in gila bend arizona okay. um it's like right it's like kind of south 
east of, no, southwest of Phoenix. Okay. Um, and there's a little small Air Force base right there, and they train combat training. Okay. Uh, flight training. Um, well, the first night we get there, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm 18 years old, never been out of state, really never been out of state this long on my own. My dad's working there with me. Um, and we didn't know they did this kind of training, but they used the desert for bomb training and like yeah. tank busters and, you know, doing yeah. the tank busting. Well, it's two o'clock in the morning, first night here. We're in this little cheap, uh, Middle Eastern hotel owned and, uh-huh. um, this plane zips by and freaking starts blowing his cannons out in the desert and stuff like that. And all these, you know, it blowing out there and, um, come to find out that's where they trained these planes. And like, it was the coolest thing in the world because our job site was literally at the end of the takeoff runway. So these things would scream, over that runway. Um, that's one of the coolest planes I've ever seen in my life. Well, what's, what's really neat about it is that it's a, it's a fighter aircraft, but, um, it's got, uh, part of its capability is due to the type of engines it has. Yeah. The jet fan engines. Well, they, well, they're called high bypass engines. So, um, basically what that means is that the big fan that's on front of like, say commercial planes, you got a big fan Mm -hmm. and then you got a small core. Well, 85% of the thrust is actually produced by that big fan, not the core, right? Now, on a low-bypass engine, like what's in fighters, um, all of the thrust is produced by the sort of core right there. And so you have afterburner systems and whatnot. But that has a high-bypass fan, which means it has better control over, like, low speeds as well. Right, right. So, um, but, but also when they... When they designed that plane, the gun was designed first. Uh, they yeah, designed the yeah. plan around the gun. Around the gun. Yeah, that's one of the biggest bullets of it. Like, what's it, the 30 millimeter cannon? I think it's what it is. I don't I think know. It's 20 or 30 millimeters, something yeah, like that. It's, yeah, something like that. But they're also incendiary rounds. Yeah, they're just, yeah. They, yeah, they're incredible, man, really. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this um, <laughs> it, doesn't have, it doesn't have a parking brake. And that seems trivial, but it's actually a big deal to pilots because whenever they put bombs on them, First of all, in parking, they don't have bombs on them. They don't do that in parking. They, well, they well they put them on, but they're safe, right? They've right, got yeah, pins they in them pin. and stuff. And so what they have to do is they have to taxi out to an area called called an arming area. And then mechanics go out there. They plug in th- through interphone, and then they walk through this process of pulling the pins out. The whole time, they're, like, holding on to the brakes. And the brakes operate on a plane kind of like, um, like a golf cart where there's, like, a flexible top part, right? And so they're... Their, 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 their calves are flexed oh, on their toes, like pushing those things forward. And then uh, now when they come back, they have to do the same thing. Here's the thing. If it's lightning, they have to land and, and like park and they can't move. So they're holding the brakes the whole time and sometimes for like 30 minutes, an hour. So they're sitting there in parking and they can't leave the plane because it's unsafe. So they have to sit there holding their calves like flexed on these, on these brake pedals. That's rough. On, a, on like a 3,000 PSI system. Why can't you yeah. just turn the plane off? Well, if they, to, if they turn the plane off, then they'd have to taxi. You know, they'd, they'd have to get mechanics out there to restart it again because they can't start like kind of on their own. They have okay, to be plugged okay. in and stuff. So there's yeah. a whole process to starting oh, okay, engines okay. and stuff. Yeah. But I found those planes fascinating. They were, um, the she- I, I can understand now where people get the sheer fear of that sound. Yeah, that burnt. We were out in the middle of the desert. But like I said, that like 2 o'clock that morning, these guys were out there. Dry, all you hear is that noise. Yeah. So, and 90% of the people that were on the job site were, were out of Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, Louisiana. A bunch of rednecks, basically. Yeah. Job, roughneck job workers. Sure. So, obviously, we all come out of the hotel room. Half of them got their guns out. You know, we're wondering <laughs> what the hell's going on. And, um, and this little this little Arabian woman that owns a hotel came out. Oh, no, no, nothing wrong. Well, this is, you know, not too many years after 9-11 still, in, yeah. in my opinion. Um 
And people are like, the hell with you? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They might have been a bit, bit, yeah. bit biased there, but well, they, yeah, that, that, that plane. So I've been, I've watched them do those runs and sometimes they'll come in from like 16,000 feet and come oh, in. Right. Yeah. And, and then they'll, they'll do that and they need the speed because the problem with a high bypass engine is that there's a lag in the throttle response. Okay. So they bring the speed in so, so that they can, you know, Pitch back out fire and then have the airspeed to pull up while the engines spin up. They, yeah, but I, I, I've been I've been like a hundred yards away from 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 when they did that because yeah. we could go and watch it, you know. But yeah, you you feel like you feel the impact like there's that sort of aftershock from these little rounds. Absolutely, like yeah. you, I, I can, can feel that. I can assume with I, I can um, definitely agree with that because like that's what those guys it was like. They would fly over there. They would fly over and they had bleachers set up in the middle of the desert so you could yeah. go out there and watch these guys do this. That's crazy. And they would come over a mountain and just dive off the side of the mountain. Yeah. And it's like wow. I yeah. give those pilots all the credit in the world. That's a whole different breed of pilot. To yeah. Be able to fly that monster. And it's such. It's a so. There's some contention there about like retiring the plane, and you've got this this people that have this deep love for that plane, which understandable. At the same time, uh, there was a what's 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 called a cast summit, a close air support summit, and I think this was twenty. It doesn't matter when it was, but it was in March one year, and uh, there was a big talk about retiring the A ten. And one person was making an argument and said eighty five percent of all casts, all all close air support, um, is done with aircraft other than the A ten. Now, there's a lot of cast assets, and I brought this up to, to an A-10 pilot one time, and he goes, and, and rightfully so, I don't know why I didn't think of this, but he goes, he goes, well, what that statistic means is that A-10s account for 15% of all close air, all close air support assets, and there's more than like 10 close air support assets. There's also an issue with the definition of cast. It's been expanded to include more, like I've done close air support missions, you know, um, in a C-17, so, like, there's no reason why I should big you Betsy know. flying a low altitude today. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, that's a that's a problem as well. But yeah, it's a it's a fascinating plane. I bet. I mean, it's. it's I think his day is coming to an end. Honestly. Well, uh, I mean, it's. I think the um, you also got to think of the um, the style of war we're fighting now is really is there no need, is there a need for that plane in this type of war? Because really, there yeah. is no war at the moment. Which I don't feel. I'm pretty sure. Obviously, we still have troops over somewhere doing some sort of fighting, but. It's 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 more surgical right, right now. Right. Yeah, um, the, the operations that I were I was last involved in were uh, supporting the special operations uh, community. They're very much active. Oh, they're yeah, going I don't think off they ever of named named. They're still prosecuting named targets, like oh, um, you know, watching individuals and you know, developing pattern of life where they're watching. Like we'll watch who who they interact with and track that. And watch where they live, where they frequent, because what we try to do when we prosecute is eliminate the uh, collateral damage. We'll draw them out of a house through, you know, clan, clandestine operations and whatnot, and then get them to an isolated area, and then we'll strike. Yeah. So. How does it feel to have all this um, high-risk information that you're not supposed to tell anybody clapped up in that brain of yours? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it sucks. It sucks because there's a lot of things that we were involved in. I've signed a number of non-disclosures, and, and not just within that job, but like even in even in aircraft maintenance. Like I've done missions where we had to sign non non-disclosures. Um, it sucks because you can't 
talk about it. Right. And there's some really sexy stories right. out You're there. Like, that, man, like, I want to tell you. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, it's right there. Like I can't share it with right. my wife. Right. You exactly. Know? You can't tell it with anybody. So, I mean, and it's like a lot of things you don't, you can't really talk, bring it back up with your buddies that were there with you at the time. Cause it's the simple fact of someone overhearing any kind of conversation yeah. and stuff like that. But even, it, even that's kind of controlled, man. Like, uh, right, right. Absolutely. It's like yeah. I'm saying is, and even if you got the one buddy you can talk about, he's like, bro, I've heard a story a million times. I was there. I don't want to hear it no more. I'm like, <laughs> I just don't want to, you know, I right. was there, man. Right. So yeah, there's a, there's a job within air traffic control that you, um, uh, within the air force that you have to get specifically picked for. And it's working at area 51. You live in Las Vegas, you wear civilian clothes, you get on the, you know, white plane that has the red stripe on it. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the details I can tell that's, that's, right, that's, right, that's right, known, right. but we heard a knock of the door. We know went too far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there will be no knock of the door. It'll right, be like right. a flash bomb. Yeah. You know, it'll be over with. Um, but, but anyway, so they fly in and they just do air traffic control. Well, the thing is, is that, um, if there's planes flying around, the next shift can't come on until the plane lands, gets put to bed, that sort of thing. And if there's like an emergency, you can't transfer, you can't transfer the responsibility for the aircraft to another individual. That plane has to be out of the airspace, gone, whatever, um, because the next shift is not allowed to see what you did on your shift. I wonder how that, I mean, Area 51, how does that work with other runways and other airports around that? Like you have to communicate between air traffic control and air traffic control, you know, between runways. You do, and... uh, we could, I could pull up the chart, you know, for that area. You, you can go on uh, what's called skyvector.com. Okay. Skyvector shows up all, all the, all the uh, aeronautical charts, and you can see the area where Grooms Lake is, where Area 51 is, and the amount of airspace that's blocked out where you can't go into. So I've been to, like, Area, area 52. I've actually been on that installation, and then I've been to Tonopah Test Range. And so those are the only airports that are in the area, but they're surrounded by so much restricted airspace. Right. I've also been in the, um, I've been in the uh, radar um, air traffic control facility that controls or that ha- has that airspace in there. And it's all, they just have these boxes that they have to keep aircraft out of. They have to keep three miles away from the That's boundaries, crazy. three to five miles away from the boundaries of, of those airspace, of, of that airspace. And there's times, like I've talked to some of the controllers, they can see like random blips of aircraft, right? And they know that there's operations going on, but that, but that box is mostly dark. That's so crazy. they're using a lot of like stealth. Well, the aircraft controller at Air 51 probably got a boring job most of the time. Cause most of them, when they do that job and they do it for like four to six years, they get out. Uh, they don't continue their service in the Air Force because you get like a top secret clearance out of it. And like you get, you just get offered some really lucrative jobs. Um, I told the wife, like, she does not want to live out West. I said, if I get that job, we going that, you know, living out West was, I stayed there for almost a year in yeah. Arizona and he lived in Arizona is literally like, I can't remember the exact way the sign said it, but it's like population of like 1700 people and like six old crabs. And like the six old crabs, like these were like the six of the oldest people in the town. They call them old crabs, but the desert sucks. Like <laughs> certain parts, man. Like if if you're on I forty in like Arizona, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of nice. And but there's there's like you you've got those like weird rock formations that are kind of uh, kind of neat. The, the fl- landscape was amazing. The, yeah, it, like the landscape was amazing. I, I love the countryside and stuff like that, but. The heat, you can, everyone's like, well, it's a dry heat. You kiss my ass, it's hot. I, I don't care. <laughs> There's it's, something it's, to it's that, hot. though. There is something um, to that. <laughs> but, and I was, like, struck, like, 
down as far as like mesmerized by um, the way Phoenix. I mean, I'm 18 years old. Um, Phoenix is a great town. Phoenix is a cool town. Yeah. Um, so I got to explore a lot of it. We did some cool stuff, but um, I don't know if I'd want to live out there. It's, yeah. it's an interesting, you know, you're talking about moving to moving out West. That's a, uh, whew. I would live in Flagstaff. Flagstaff, the weather is I'd perfect. I'd live in Tucson. Tucson. I went to Tucson yeah. a few times because we were like literally like an hour and a half away from Tucson and Phoenix. Like that's yeah. where I think the Hila base you were near was probably Davis Monthan. I don't know the name of the base. Because they have A-10s there. All I know is, is um, Luke, they have other fighters like a, F-16s. It's a very, very small base. I mean, there's it's like. It's got to be Davis Monthan. So with where the job site was, we had a, what they call the pedestal on the job site. It's like a 10 story building, like big um, cooling area. Well, we had to go on top of it and work so you could see the Air Force base. Or whatever, Air Force, Marines. Well, I probably trade Air Force with the training or whatever. I don't yeah. know how the, I don't know what the uh, A10s are under Air Force division wise. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, you could see it, and it was. It, it, they only had like one big hangar, and that was it. Like it mm. was literally all they had, and they had another big building, but um, very restrictive though. Like they had that, and they had another. They had like six gates surrounding the main area, so you're not getting anywhere near it. Like we, yeah. as adventurous kids, we're like, yeah, we're gonna see if we can go. You know, no. We, we made it through the first, there was no guards at the first two, three gates. And then we got to the fourth gate and all of a sudden Humvees came out of nowhere. And they're like, what are you doing? And we're like, yeah. oh, we're just riding. We got lost on the road. They're like, no, you don't get lost on this road. Like, there's no reason for you to turn on this road. <laughs> like, no, you, you, know, you didn't get turned around. You, you, no, there's yeah. no way. So, but yeah, it was a very interesting thing. But, um, it, so, so, so what do you think of the whole like storm area 51 thing? Oh man. You know, while we were over in Arizona, a few of the guys on the job site, we were like, you know, we were so close, you know, closer than I've ever been to area 51 and Arizona. Yeah. So we're like, Hey, let's go to area 51. And, you know, we thought about doing it. We never did. But, and then it's one that everybody started talking about radio area 51. I started kind of laughing inside. Cause it's like, hell, we were like 10 of us wanted to go do it one day and just go see how far we can make it. Um, it would have been funny to see someone actually truly try. Well, and, and and some people do, but that that place is so damn secure. I mean, well, you're, yeah. you're you're not making it. Like, there's no, no way. No, no, of course not. Like, I, I I don't know this to be the case, but I would imagine that there's even like aerial surveillance. You know, you've got global hawks up there at fifty thousand feet watching down, and you can't see a global hawk from fifty thousand feet from the ground. Well, I mean, put it this way: if you, I'm pretty sure you've played golf on Keesler Air Force Base. Uh-huh. If you drive your golf ball past the red line on the air on the airfield, you walk out there, you get met. Yeah. So imagine how security is there compared to sure, what Area 51 sure. would be. But, um, yeah, you know, and I also wonder this. Everybody, that made, that got real big, Storm Area 51. The Air Force had to make an official I statement about say, it. How did, how, did the, how did Area 51 secure itself for just the possibility of that? Because, you know, they had to. Like, they had to be prepared for everything. So I wonder what they had to do. Like, I'm pretty sure the guys are like, yeah, we'll just roll off that one big gun, guys. And it'll be one drop, and it'll be over. Everybody will turn yeah. around the other way. Well, but, that's the whole idea behind deterrence. You know, and I talked about this once, but like it's 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 the equation of capability times will times perception. Right. And if you if you lack capability, like if any one of those factors is a zero, then you have zero capability. You know, it, it's expressed as a multiplication problem for that reason. Sure. So, um, but yeah, like capability. Do you have the capability to defend yourself or or respond to an act of aggression? Um, are you willing to? And then, do people perceive you? as 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 having both the capability and the will and if so then you have deterrence yeah you know there's an article i read um written in a magazine called called skeptic great great magazine but it's uh it basically talked about uh comparing australia and american australian and american criminals australians they don't have guns and then american uh in america they do and so 
they interviewed criminals for um, like breaking and entering and stuff like that and robbery. Uh, how often or how long it would take to scope out a house. And in Australia, it was so short. It was like oh, yeah. hours or like a day, day at most. Um, but in America, it was like days, you know, maybe maybe a week or two. And then they talked about, you know, why and or, or, or what would be the reasons why you wouldn't go into a house. And they're asking the people from America. And it was like, if you had like, a, you know, this house protected by the Second Amendment, you know, type of things. Because they asked them, like, does a security system sign mean anything? They're like, no, you know, we can get in and out you know, with, with what we want before the police come and then insurance, you know, covers everything Like we don't care. And so I, I tell people all the time, the best security system you can have is a, whether you believe it or not, even if you don't believe in supporting the second amendment, the best thing you could do is have a sign out in front of your house that says this house protected by the second amendment. Oh yeah. That makes, actually, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's, it's kind of like smile your own camera when you am I on camera? Am I not? You're not going to take the chance at that point. That makes, yeah, that makes or, a lot of good sense. Or like having a sign out that says, uh, this house protected by a Doberman or like a shepherd, even right. if you have nothing but cats in the house. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that is, that's, that's pretty much the case. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, I think you're talking about Australian guns. Um, another one, a good friend of mine went to Australia for a little while um, and worked. Um, I think you have to rent guns over there. Like if you want to go hunting, you have to go to the government and rent a gun from the government. Really? If, if I'm not mistaken, like don't, don't hold me on that. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think it's a, a process of some form. You have to get a gun on loan in a sense. Like, Hey, I want to go hunting today, mate. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I never thought about that. Like, how do people hunt out there? Like, surely, the, right. well, it, it can't be all bow hunting. No, I mean, when you see it all the time on, like, on on any kind of, like, National Geographic or something like that, there's always the guy, the, the tour guide that runs around with a gun. So, like, there's guns there. Yeah. So, I, how does that maybe, process work? I yeah, don't, it's probably just really strict. Maybe certain specific uh, jobs can do that. I guess. Something. I mean. But, yeah, he said something along his line. You, get, you know, you got to get a gun on loan. You can't yeah. bring your own gun to the country or nothing like that. Are you a pro Second Amendment person? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got. Yeah, I, I like my guns. What, do you have a limit to that, or are you just like? Because I know there's a there's a certain certain people believe that my right to bear arms, is, you know, is is just it's it's universal. So if I want a Gatling gun, if I want a cannon, you know, I can I can do that. I feel there. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think anybody should have a, a, I mean, it'd be cool to own a Gatling gun, but <laughs> I guess I'm a kind of person when it comes to my ideas of what I need to have is, is what need, what, what need will I have with it? Mm-hmm. I mean, do I need any, I mean, a Gatling gun's fun. The only need would be to need to go out there and just start shooting a bunch of crap for no reason. Yeah. But no, I, I guess there should be some kind of limits. Um, I guess the background checks are kind of laxed these days. Well, so they're not required and, and that, uh, I actually happen to know something about this. So, so, um. There was a Supreme Court case that occurred after, I forget the act, but it basically mandated federal background checks, right? right? And so every state had to do it. And there was a time, like in the 90s, I think, when this was the case. Well, then um, a sheriff in Texas, uh, sued, Texas sued the federal government over that because that was infringing on the rights and also not of the individuals, but also of the states because there's no requirement to do that. And so by the Constitution, and so the Tenth Amendment kind of applies because since it wasn't described by the Constitution as being something that is required to be done, and this is a very simplistic um, uh, explanation of this. There's there's a little more detail that escapes me, but essentially the federal government cannot mandate federal background checks because of the Tenth Amendment, so it's left to the states first, and if the states don't regulate it, then it's up to the individual to do a background check, which, you know, there's, there's no incentive for that. So it, the case is called uh, Prince versus the United States. And Sheriff Prince, 
And so basically that, that established the federal background check system as we know it, where it's basically the FBI is going to maintain it. It's here. States, if you want to use it, we'd, we'd love to help you out. Right. So. I, I, I think there should be a little more to, I mean, because background checks, man, it's, things change from year to year with certain individuals. I mean, yeah. you know, and it's like, for example, I mean, I just got a gun not too long ago and the last one I got, um, I mean, I have a concealed license, so I can go to the, my gun shop and just, all I get is hand on the card. I don't have to fill nothing out. Oh, really? Right. Like, every, all he had to do is that he had this, my number, and that's it. Everything's there. My background check is clear. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that doesn't regulate and change much. So if I get a, a felony in between the last gun I bought and the next gun, I could, if, it doesn't on the, if it's not on the report yet, I can walk in there and buy a gun the next day and say, hey, John, thank you, and walk out the door with another, with another gun yeah. after they've already taken all my other guns away and I've been in the jail. So they is don't... The, is there a way for, like, say if you did get... Con- convicted of a felony would it it would surely update in I in the state so. system and then would they revoke it or you just couldn't renew it i don't know i mean i guess you would hope they would they would acknowledge it real fast yeah I mean, it's like i was saying i mean if you catch it but if you catch it before it gets to the system i mean yeah what, what do you know what are you gonna do about it but I, it's just weird that i can go in there today or tomorrow and buy two guns in a row and they don't check any they say hey heath you bought one from us before you're good to go man yeah so but, I, but they're 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 leveraging the process of approval for a concealed carry license, right? You know, so you probably had to do a background check for that. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and so, um, yeah. I mean, but I, to your point, things change, right? Things change. So your mental state right. change, right? Exactly. You know, yeah. you know you, your wife pissed you off one day, and you want to go shoot up the whole town. I mean, yeah. what do you? I mean, okay, I'm gonna go buy a gun today. Yeah. So, I mean, then you got the people that's never bought a gun; they're not even nowhere near in the system, and they mm. click. How does that? You know, how do you judge that? That's the next thing that I will say about the. If you don't have a, a, a any kind of record, felony record, any kind of criminal record, and you've never owned a gun, but you're mentally unstable and you want to go buy a gun, there's nothing that's, there's nothing there. Yeah. So how can they, you know, if you're not. And and that's what makes the issue complex. It's right. like you don't want to infringe. Like if, if we can both say, okay, great, great. Yeah, we don't want to infringe on, you know, healthy people, you know, law-abiding citizens sure. and owning a gun. But then. At the same time, there's a group of people that are just unstable right. and didn't discover maybe or don't realize or haven't yet had their dark sides revealed to them, right. you know? Right. So, I mean, it's, I guess we're all humans. I guess everybody has a little bit of sadistic side in them, but it's how 100%, far, it's yeah. how far yeah. do you let that come out? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it, I guess you kind of use it, the idea of like the, the checkpoint, the process of determining who can and cannot have a gun. It's like, who would you trust to drive your car? You know, oh, John, John's freaking nuts. He's wrecked everything he's ever owned. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, not everybody knows that. There's not, if he goes down the street and bars a car, they don't know John's crazy and go driving to Pine Tree the next day. Right, so it's, right. It's a very sensitive topic on background checking for a weapon. I can understand that, but I think there's something that can be done. I mean, obviously, it's not thought of yet, but there's something that can be thought of to somehow. Because people are, I mean, right now, it's, I think it's a simple, like, well, do you have any kind of mental problems? Have you thought about wanting to do this? Yeah. If you want the gun, you're not going to tell them the truth. For sure, it's, for sure. Yeah, that's like that's like in the in the military. They always have these signs up that say um, like really stupid stuff. So the military doesn't want you to drink more than three drinks at a time. Right, right. And so on your annual health questionnaire, um, you have to kind of disclose how much you drink. And everybody <laughs> always puts like two. Well, obviously. you know, like one to three. It's like one to three, four to six, more than six. Uh, but obviously you always put one to three, you know, and right. unfortunately that, that, 
becomes a statistic and they leverage that and say like 85% of airmen under the age of 25 only drink two beers. Like, well, no, they don't. It's like getting pulled over by the cop. I've only had one. I've only had, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's this weird thing like, I guess, I guess what you're doing in that situation is you're like, well, I want to be honest. Right. I want to appear honest. So I'm going to disclose. I just don't want to be too honest. Right. You know? I love the drink, but I don't love the drink all the time. Yeah. So we're just going to keep it at that. Because they probably realize he can probably smell alcohol on my breath. So I'll just say one. Yeah, one. And yeah. that's perfectly reasonable yeah, that I'd be able to drive home. Yeah. Wouldn't you, had, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I had one before you pulled me over and the one before that and the one before that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> It was all, but it was always just one. Though. Yeah, like one it was at a time. Always just one, one at a time. Yeah. Um, we we used to make that joke, you know, back in my crazy life, where you ride around drinking, you know, unfortunately drinking and driving don't do that. But yeah. anyway, um, you know, people was like, "What well, if you get pulled over drinking and driving?" I'm like, well, "I was not drinking and driving. I was drinking while driving." There's. <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, I was focused. Big on one or the other. There's to be fair, big difference there. Not guys. both. I was not drinking Total and driving. Big difference. I was totally doing them at the yeah. same time. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Tell that to the cops. See how fast that goes. Yeah, but um, yeah. Back to the Second Amendment stuff, though. It's, it's. I don't know. It's. I think there's a lot. A lot can be done. But then again, should we take away everything? No, absolutely not. I mean, recently, like California has got the strictest gun laws in the state right now, United States. I mean, and they're like no thirty round magazines. Well, I don't really understand. Like, okay, I mean, what's the point? It's, it's, I, I think it's to reduce the potential damage that somebody would, would be able to do. You can, and, and yeah. my, 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 always my point back of that is, is, I mean, you can reload 10 round magazines just as fast as you reload 30 round magazines. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't really, that's they not would gonna, just buy more 10 round magazines. They're not, I don't yeah. think that's going to restrict the threat of, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, I mean, yes, understandably, as far as counting numbers of bullets, you know, mm-hmm. if you go, oh, you got 10 round, 10, 10 round magazines and 30, 10 30s, obviously there's more, but it's a simple fact that, they're going to bring what they need to do, to justify what they're trying to do. Yeah. So yeah. and it doesn't and, matter. And they don't. They're probably not going to care about the legality of no, it. No, absolutely point. not. And again, it goes back to the whole. Okay, let's say they have all these strict gun laws. Um, they got strict meth laws, but that doesn't stop people from going to buy meth. Yeah. They're going to yeah. buy and get what they want to use what they have to use. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't know. It's a very. It's one of the touchiest subjects right now, in my opinion, that's going on right now. And 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 that's the problem too. Is that a a. a, a a topic, a concept that's so divisive and so polarizing, people aren't going to talk reasonably yeah. about it because they don't trust the other side to right. do that, you know? Like, I, I agree, there's, there's probably something, and, and I think, unfortunately, the pro-Second Amendment person is going to have to accept that, that maybe it is going to come down to better analysis, better, better uh, uh, and I say analysis as, like, analysis of the individual, so background checks are going to be part of that. You know, maybe a little bit more restrictive, maybe um, a mental health screening, you know, stuff like that. Maybe like an every two to four years or something do that. Um, but they had, a, they had a guy, I don't know if he was actual military or not, but he was one of the big trainers for the military because, you know, there's so many different private sections yeah, and stuff like that yeah, in the military. Yeah. But he said the biggest thing, he said he feels, he said, if you're going to own a gun, you should be required to qualify with that weapon from a, from a qualified agency and show that you are still still profession and it hadn't really done to do with how accurate you are but if your mental capabilities that guy's an instructor is going to watch you the whole time you're there Mm -hmm. while you're training and he's going to make sure that you're mentally capable of doing that and that was one of the things like with my concealed carry license that was i guess the benefit of that is um when i i had to go to a range and shoot for so many hours to get my concealed carry Mm -hmm. um you don't have to but i think like at the time they were like it was something anyway might have been a voluntarily thing that somebody just told me it would have to do but anyway um 
that guy was there a few times some, and a few people he walked up and he said you might want to re- reconsider if you're going to want to carry a sidearm on you or not he said because you know basically with the person's aggression was like kind of iffy and you know that person's one you could tell he's probably wanting to carry a gun just say so you know he has a gun all the time i mean it, so that instructor pretty much told him he said i don't think you're fit for this class so so in the military before you deploy like you don't you don't have to uh shoot every year unless you're in specific jobs right. like you know if you're a military police or whatever but uh if you deploy then you have to shoot and so yeah if you deploy once once in your career once in 20 years you've only had to shoot once one time you know well twice counting counting basic training so there's no actual proficiency now the question would be like somebody who goes and works in the finance department does not need to carry a weapon right but um again it's it's a mental thing i think but in any case yeah i i like the idea of that i mean i'll, I'll go one step further and, and maybe a part of that is like every time you have to um i don't know what the time frame is on your concealed carry how long it's it's good for and like probably four years or something but maybe yeah, every time so. that you have to renew it you have to take that class and then right. also within that class you've got a psychologist in there well it's kind of like the you can give them go as far as driver's license with that because honestly they should do a lot more testing on that because have you been around so many people that drive on these roads here lately yeah dog. oh boy yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, t- I tell you uh when when the state was shut down me working at a bank at, a th- at the time we were, we were considered essential yeah. man the drive was so great they, first of all, they weren't giving tickets out, right. but oh, yeah. like I was, I was going to, I, I was working out of Pascagoula and that was just, you know, once you get on 90 straight shot, right. but like, man, it was so nice. Like there were no cars out there and, uh, it was, it was great. I could get to Pascagoula in about like 10 minutes, eight minutes. Yeah. Not now. No, no. I think it got worse after they opened the gates back up for everybody to go back out again. Well, and, and, and police were there to take advantage. I mean, oh, they were man. everywhere in Gaucher. Well, that's like my shop in, um. It's in St. Martin, um, right north of Exit 50 on Tucker Road. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- when they opened everybody back up and said you could start going out again, we had, like, state troopers. Like, they were, like, hunters waiting for a deer to walk by. It yeah. was, like, crazy. Yeah. We started playing games because one always parked in front of our shop and used our driveway. And it was like, yeah, he's going to write several tickets today. But before that, he wasn't there. He was never – no, there was no state troopers around. And we would yeah. – fly, people were flying down Tucker Road. I mean, it was bad. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's – people were getting – it's scary now. I don't know if it's because of COVID and the more of the fear of people, but yeah, it's, it's driving's getting worse. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and, and so I lived in Navarre for, for two years, Navarre, Florida, mm-hmm. just, just west of uh, Fort Walton beach. And man, during tourist season, uh, oh, I that can was, imagine. yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was a shit show for sure. Uh, yeah. Cause you got all crazy from all different world. Mm-hmm. Florida drivers aren't the greatest already as, as their own. Yeah. And, and, and of course, like, well, well, the area in Florida is notorious for, for, for having a large geriatric population, but you get those <laughs> drivers as well, you know? So, yeah, yeah, like it's crazy when you go to Florida, all you see is retirement homes, hospitals, and, and um, that's about it. Which I get it. Honestly, <laughs> I, I want to go back. Right. Like, I, I didn't want to move, move back here. I want to stay there. You know, we had a great house, but you know, you know, the wife is part of that, part of that decision and um so there's there's a lot of moral reasons for us to come back you know family be closer to family that's 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 kind of aging and whatnot so yeah i mean like i said i've I've never lived outside of town yeah you know never actually up and moved family out of out of out of the town yeah except for short terms at a time mm -hmm. did a lot of traveling as a kid but when i actually got to adult i just like stayed here but um driving in florida i florida's great but yeah, that, the geriatric driving is, <laughs> and, and we think state troopers are bad here. 
Florida oh, State Troopers. Blood, oh my gosh, they out for blood. It's like there's like six of them lined up. They like yeah. rock paper scissors. Who's gonna get that one? It's like yes. Yeah, I, I would love to talk to somebody and find out if there's like a network on 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 I ten because you see them kind of like spaced out, and I wonder if they'll like call the person that's like they have to two miles later because it seems like that. I guess that that's the response. It, it, it makes sense, but Texas was the worst. Yeah, we drove to Arizona obviously because of all the tools, um, but. On the way back, I got a speeding ticket in Texas, which the the speed limit in Texas on inter, on I ten was like eighty five. Like you could book it. Were you in North, North Texas? No, I'm going across I ten through Texas. Okay, so yeah, like, there's there's like certain San Antonio, areas, yeah. uh, stuff like that. It's like eighty mile an hour speed limit, yeah. so you could just book it. Yeah. Well, um, my dad got sick over there. He got got diagnosed with cancer, and f- we flew him home because he couldn't. I he was too sick to make the drive back. Well, on the drive back, I was cooking at home. Well, I um, out of nowhere, this state trooper's behind me, and he pulled me over. They got me with aerial surveillance. They have planes that fly around and clock you with an airplane, and the cop just comes out of nowhere. That was really? the most mind-blowing thing in the world. So after that, the finish on the drive, like every time I saw a plane, I'd slow down. Like I've never had to slow down for a plane before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've, I've, seen pl- I've, I've seen signs that say something like uh, speed monitored by aircraft right, i right. think is the sign and i've always thought like man there's no way you're paying somebody in a helicopter to like <laughs> fly around with a sniper gun like and and to be honest with you like i even question the validity of that because the the whole problem like i got into an argument with a cop one time because he 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 pulled me over um but he wasn't facing me he was like so so like he was facing the direction i was driving so the the radar gun, if he's pointing it yeah, at it's me, moving for, yeah, the, it's moving further away. Right. So so you can't you can't get a signature that way. And and so he was full of shit, you know. First of all, right. It don't but a plane, way. it's kind of the same way. Like unless you're right in front, and of course you've you've, you've got the issue of like the range of the radar gun, matching like, speeds, matching yeah, exactly. altitude, how, and all that. There's so many variables. That? You know. Uh, yeah, but it, it, it was mind blowing to me. The cops like I've been following you for miles. I'm like I didn't know you were there, man. I, yeah. I was, I'm moving. He's like, well, the airplane clocked you with this. I'm like, airplane? Wait a minute here. Hold on. He should pull me over. Land this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine? Could you imagine a plane just kind of pulls up and just stops stops you? Get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I mean, I have seen a plane emergency land on a, on a road before, but not not for that reason. But um, <laughs> What was that like? Oh, I, you know, I was in kindergarten, so I really didn't, you know. Was that here? No, actually, it was up. Where I'm so I'm. So we, I moved to Ocean Springs when I was in fourth grade. Um, so oh, me too. Yeah, really? So, yeah. Which, uh, were you in Pecan Park? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, we. So I got moved to Miss McKay's class. I think you were Miss yeah, McKay's yeah, class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's so funny. Was crazy. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's but, right. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember I, if if we we're in the same class in fifth grade or fourth grade, but yeah, I think in fifth grade I was in Miss Guy's class. Yeah, I was. I was um, in. Um, Miss Crobe, I think, in fifth grade. Oh. Yeah, Miss Crobe. Miss Crobe missed times. I can't remember which one it was. But um, but yeah, um, but anyway, kindergarten, I was in Columbia, Mississippi. That's where I'm originally from, which is like right beside Hattiesburg, a little yeah. bit west of Hattiesburg. Um, but um, yeah, we were coming home on the school bus one day, and all of a sudden, this little Cessna just boom, right down in front of the highway. We're like, wow, that's... You know, kind of, I don't That's know, rad. I, I guess he ran out of fuel or whatever. There was nothing yeah. wrong. He, he yeah. just touched down and rolled over this little field and everything was fine and dandy. But, yeah. um, yeah. and they had one emergency land on I-10 not too long ago. Um, I think I remember that. Maybe, maybe four years ago, something like that. Yeah. But, um, he had something to do with his, uh, one of his, um, 
flaps were messing up or something like that. So mm. he did emergency landing. I don't know. That would be an issue for a pilot landing on a road because, like, the cars don't know you're coming. <laughs> yeah, they discover pretty quickly. It, oh, it, it yeah, attempts, absolutely. You know, yes. because... Because they float in and, and they'll see a shadow and and naturally if you see a plane there like your your inclination is not to just keep going, you know you're probably going <laughs> to slow down a bit, you know and so you'll 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 have that effect. But uh, yeah, man, it's crazy. Right. I mean, it's um, but yeah, it's it's but yeah. I moved fourth grade, moved down here, had um, Miss McKay. Um, Pecan Park was like overpopulated at the time, and like our class at that time was huge. So. They put me in, I can't remember what teacher at first, and shortly after put me in Miss McKay's class. They mm. brought her in and put a bunch of kids together. But I've been down here ever since. I've been yeah. living in ocean, good old Ocean Springs. <laughs> 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 yes. Yeah, it's a good... It It's a good little town, man. And, um, you know, again, I, I, I tell everyone I had to move away to actually appreciate it. But, yeah. You know, me too. Um, and it's... But then again, it's when I was growing up, my um, my parents divorced when I was second grade, I think, something like that. First, second grade. Um, but my dad went back on the road. And so every summer I was in a different state because my dad, whatever job site he was on, he would either fly me up or he'd come get me and we'd go to that state. So I traveled all over the place from yeah. like between the, those probably four or five years, like everywhere. And then um, and I live with my grandmother on this as well at the time. Um so, and when my grandmother got sick, that's when my mom got a house mm-hmm. and, got, and met her husband that she has now, my stepfather, and they moved to Ocean Springs. And um, that's when I stayed. But even then, when I was here, every summer I was in some different state, which was really cool. But Ocean Springs was the first place we didn't move. Like, I moved all over the place as a kid, like back and forth, different houses yeah. and stuff like that. So, that was the first hometown that I've ever mm-hmm. had. So, even today, today, I really say I'm from Ocean Springs. Yeah, that's same here. Where, same where here. I moved to. And, and I was actually born in Texas, you know, so. Right, yeah, right. And, I don't and, see any horns, so you're good. <laughs> 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 but, um, anyway, anyway. Um, but, yeah, that was. Uh, but then again, after you move in and stay in a town for so long, it's like, God, oh, I'm getting tired of this place. Like, you know, and rebellious. Yeah. I was a pretty rebellious kid, so I was getting same a little here. bit of trouble in high school and stuff yeah. like that. So, it's like, I. I hate this place. You know, I started hating it and hating it. And then I moved to Arizona. I moved. I went to Arizona and worked with my dad for a little while. And then he got sick and I came back and I was like, you know what? It's, there's a lot more worse places. Cause yeah. So yeah. It, it's a, it's a definitely a different respect when you come back into your town and stay again. Well, it's, it's also kind of natural for, for kids in high school to, to kind of grow into this like air of independence and you start to look around and maybe, maybe, it, I think this is especially bad in high school, and it's sort of the social media effect as well. Like, all you see are things that things that are going well for other people, and maybe you want them to go better for yourself, so you so you blame the surroundings, right. you know? And I think, uh, you know, it's possible that a lot of people go, go through that, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that was, I guess you get bored. You want to do things, and this town doesn't provide what you want to do. What you think you want to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. That's a better way to say it. What you think you want to do or what you think you're going to do even. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, it's my first intentions was after high school was to um, join Coast Guard. My buddy Thomas did it, and they had the, they had the time they had like the, what they call the buddy system or something like oh, that, okay. where, where then their idea was is no matter where you go, you always got someone you know know. Yeah. So, um, and I was going to do it, and everything, and we're signing up. I went and talked to recruiters and got the, uh, was it MEP set up to go yeah. up to Jackson and all that stuff, and I think I was supposed to, right before I was actually go up there, and um, I guess sign whatever contract it well i think you're supposed to sign like three or freaking million pages of stuff yeah well and i was signed up to go with um 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 
dang, I forgot what it um Gunner's mate. That's that was the ah okay. And um so like because my grandfather in the Marines was a gunsmith, and that's all he did in the armory and the Marines. Um, so that's what I kind of wanted to go follow the track with. Well, it was right before MEPS and everything set up. My recruiter I was dealing with in Mobile called me up. And he says, well, there's some things come up and stuff like that. And he says, we're not going to be able to put you in the program for Gunner's Mate right after basic like you wanted to. So this is what we're going to do. Um, so you got to let the military. It's not what you want to do. It's what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, so he said, we're going to put you on a buoy tender boat in Pensacola. <clears throat> it's closer to home, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, what do you do on a buoy tender boat? And he says, well, you... 10 buoys. And I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't help me. What do I, he says, most time you just basically scraping barnacles off buoys all the time. I was like, no, 18 years old. I'm not the hell with that. Right. Uh, sorry, bud. T- take all the paperwork and just shred them. I'm not doing that. And then my dad was like, Hey, why don't you just come work with me? You can learn a really cool trade. You can make yeah. a lot of money. I mean, so I was like, sure. So I went to Arizona and that was like, got over there and we're, you know, you got this big crane picking up machines the size of this house and we're having to set it on that point. So, it was cool laying, I mean, laying out all the stuff and doing it. And that's what I thought I was set for, man. That was the coolest thing in the world. So it's crazy how things change real yeah. quick and, mm-hmm. and what you do. And then, like I said, my dad got sick. Um, he diagnosed with colon cancer about eight months after we were over there working. And um, we had to fly him home. And then um, I met the wife I'm married to now, and we're, I'm a transmission mechanic. So yeah. it's yeah. a crazy experience on how things roll and things change. So I've learned over the years, I don't plan anything anymore as far as life goals or anything. It sounds yeah. crazy, but I roll with the flow with it. I mean, set small goals and sets like as far as retirement, obviously, but yeah. as far as what I'm going to do next, I don't know. I don't even believe completely in retirement. Uh, um, you know, no. retirement kind of emerged because, you know, like you got to think about the people in coal mines, man. I mean, they, they can only work till they're in their 40s or 50s right. and then they've got black lung and they're going to die soon. So they might as well take it easy and you got to save up money for that. I don't think in the modern sense retirement's a, I don't even think it's that great of a thing. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, you know, most people will say, well, you know, I'm going to go live by the beach and, you know, drink all day. And it's like, well, you'll get sunburnt pretty soon. You know, it doesn't sound very, very respectable. I mean, so you're going to get bored as hell in the first three days. And you've picked this out to be like, you know, you, you go from being blessed to be able to do this for the rest of your life to be to being condemned by it, you know? Right. And, I don't know. I, my idea of retirement is is stop working with my hands and sit back and let someone else make my money for me, I guess you want to say. Start a business. You. and. But as far as full retiring and just being a bum, I don't know. That's yeah. pretty much what I like the way I call it. I mean, it's a... Well, I'm, I'm worried about... Um, I've, I've, I've had people in my life go through, like, cognitive decline. And I can't help but think that it has something to do with, like, fully retiring and not engaging in either creative endeavors or some sort of mentally stimulating thing because again in atrophy is a real thing you know so if you don't use a muscle you're going to lose it i mean why is your brain any different yeah absolutely i mean that's that's why i think you see most people that retire after three or four years they have to pick up a major like hobby trade yeah or something like that gotta refocus that right i mean you spent the last 40 50 years of your life busting your butt freaking every day thinking and thinking and thinking and doing and doing and now it's I get to drink coffee at home with my wife all day. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> Are you just saying that? <laughs> because she's probably going to listen to this. No, no. Uh, I mean, but, I shout mean, out to our wives. Right, right, right. But I mean, um, no, my wife and I both, we don't like to sit home. Like it's a, we got to be doing, this is what's killing us with this COVID thing. You can't I know, do man. anything. It's, and it's it, like, oh, I want to go to water parks. I want to go do this. Yes, and like, yeah. 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 It's, it's, this. It's a, it's a complicated issue, man. I mean, I, I would, 
especially for me, like, you know, young, like all the good, like markers that indicate a low risk, I kind of have. Right, right. I'm you the know? same way. And, and, and so it's like, well, I, this doesn't really affect me, like, that it might affect somebody older. Now, I understand, like, I get the mask thing. I'm not, I'm not bitching about it. It's frustrating, but, like, I understand why I have to do it. I got you know, one in my pocket, like, here everywhere. Yeah, it's not about me, you know? It's not. Um, but it's just, it's frustrating, man, because, like, it's not a civil liberty thing for me. It's, it's not that serious. I just want to be able to go out and do things, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, the other night was the first uh, night that we actually, as a family, went out to a restaurant, like, and actually sit down and ate again. What was that like? It, it wasn't bad once we got there and sit down, but it's like the whole time you're walking in, you're like, everybody's wearing masks. And it, I was like, and that was like, before we went, we were like, does everybody get to wear a mask? I'm like, all right, Einstein, think about this. How are you going to wear a mask and eat? Cause I'm not going to play that lift a mask game. And That's, yeah. I won't go. No. Yeah. So anyway, we get there and they said, well, you got to wear a mask while you're in line. And when you get to the table, you can take the mask off and you're good. Yeah. So we went there and, um, but even then, we had to reduce our parties because it was for a birthday. We had to reduce our party size down because we, we had like eight people. We can have, we, it was only four at a table. So which to me is kind of confusing because if I get if you just grab a random people at a restaurant and put them together, but if you, you're, so, you're social distancing yourself with the people that you've already been around anyway. So, but um, it was definitely different. The food tasted, you know, because like you're like, you don't have to eat in a restaurant, got to win. So it was like, a one-year-old eating bacon again for the first time. You're like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> so the greatest good. stuff in the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, but it was different. Now, being that I went there for one time, does it mean I'm going to go every weekend again or what we used to do? Mm-hmm. No. I mean, there for a while, we, we used the restaurants and going out as social stuff. I mean, my wife and I usually go at least maybe maybe twice a month. We would go out before that and yeah. have dinner with the kids and all that stuff. And that came to a screeching halt real quick. Yeah. And they're just now starting to open back up. But it's weird. It really it really was kind of mm-hmm. a weird indulgence on your brain processes because you're so used to keeping everything separated. Now, all of a sudden, you got the server come up to you and you're looking at menus. And yeah. the whole time, you're like, well, who else touched this menu? You get you get this kind of the pro. You get, um, ugh, scared a little bit. Yeah. Paranoid. That was the word I was looking for. Paranoid. There you go. And, um, but then again, it, get, it goes away. You drink a beer or two and it goes away and you right. have fun with your family. But it, it was a, it was an experience in a restaurant that I've never had before, I guess you want to say. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, man, it's the COVID stuff. It's just, how do you, how do you think it's going to affect? Like, I think it's putting light on, on things like, <laughs> you know, if something serious like, like this happens and we have like an, you know, some sort of economic fallout, who picks up the tab and what is the responsibility to somebody to sort of provide for people who can't, right. can't provide for themselves. I loved hearing the conversations with some of the older people about, should we have gotten the stimulus checks or not? Yeah. You know, like, why is the government bailing us out? Well, if the government doesn't bail out certain groups and certain people, the economy, there's nothing going back to it. It's a big circle where it's got to be feeding itself the entire time. I guess you want to say, but yeah, it, um, yeah, it's going to be, a. I think this, even the COVID itself is, is going to impact, everything as we know it is life even far as business i mean you're going to see major corporations they don't need giant buildings anymore everybody can work at home yeah so yeah, i mean i think there's, gonna, there's there's definitely going to be a lot of that i think even that affects like say your your uh your taxes i think you could see tax laws being being rewritten because now your your home is a is a essentially a place of business right. and so when you have a business out of your home that that gets you get to take that out on taxes, you know, the, 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 the square footage, you know, the relative portion of your property taxes and, uh, and, and yeah. mortgage you get to, you get to take out on taxes. So now you're doing that 
all year. Essentially, every person is a sole proprietor. And if both people work in the home, well, you know, that <laughs> that gets tax. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about um, real estate or commercial real estate people right now. Yeah. It's yeah. been affecting big time because nobody wants to buy any real estate commercially anymore. So, yeah. I mean, how is that going to go with all this new stuff they're building? So, I mean. Well, office buildings, I think, are going to be hurt. Uh, I kind of think what you're going to see is a growth of um, rentable office space, like cubicles right, and, right. And, and and rooms and, and and whatnot. I think they're going to convert to a model like that. Because, I mean, again, it's like if you're, if you're somebody who works from home and let's say it's during spring break and you didn't have anything planned, well, you could go rent out a space to work with a cubicle because maybe you can't focus in the house. You know, that seems to be viable or like during during the summer, maybe you have to go out and spend four to six hours renting out a cubicle every, you know, every, uh, you know, two, two, three times a week. But you can't do it at home because the kids are home, home for the summer. And so, yeah, you're going to see housings uh, the way houses are designed change. Even you're going to see people building the offices and their houses and real estate and the way things design with houses, it's affecting everything. And the people yeah. are like, well, it's only affecting this. It's literally, it's, it's blanketed everything. Everything. It's everything. everything. Um, restaurants. You're, I think you're going to see fewer restaurant sizes drop. You're not going to see as many in seating anymore. It's all takeout. Mm, I, I could see that. Yeah. I, I could see that effect. I could also see them getting bigger because of social distancing True. or, or maybe you'll see more multi-floor restaurants. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, I guess it can go either way. Yeah. Really, yeah. If you think about yeah, it. Yeah. The restaurant's like, kind of, you know, kind of a tough it's one going out there. I mean, even with us, with like and when it first came in and the COVID, the first, the first wave came through it, with my line of work as a mechanic, I drive cars all day and everybody's cars. I'm, I'm so, Oh yeah. That was an iffy situation for us. Cause like we, we physically had to shut down just people coming up and te- having a test drive. We had to schedule that now and like bring your car. We got to sanitize it. We got to let it sit for X amount of time and, and let everything sanitize properly before we could even drive it. Um, so that was a definitely, it was a, a whole different business plan got changed all over just test driving a, a simple five minute test drive. Interesting. So, I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it definitely affects everything. Right. And I mean, it's, it's even down to the like money, for example, we take, yeah. I mean, we take thousands of dollars at a time sometimes. And it, that guy has a physically count each one of those bills. Well, we'll think about that at a bank, you know, we, we had the same issue, you know, because we, because we're handling all this money and, and, uh, you know, even, even right down to this. So, so after you leave, I'll sanitize I spray your bike and, and, yeah. and, 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 and stuff like that. And then right. what I was doing also is I was during, during sunny days, I would set all my equipment outside and get that UV light, mm-hmm. you know, but, yeah. uh, and that could just be bullshit. Who knows? Right, right. I'll tell you what, you're, you work in a bank. How do you feel about this coin shortage thing? Well, it's a real thing. And part of it has to do with businesses that are very coin dependent. They're mm-hmm. shut down. Um, and so the coin is trapped in these pockets of industry. Right. And so it can't be part of the money supply to be circulated. And and, and, and that's the real issue. I mean, the, the, the mint is trying to, you also have a mint that one or more mints that are shut down. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's funny because like, uh, that's one of my big hobbies is in the middle of detecting and stuff like that. And coins is a big part yeah. of that realm of the hobby. Here, can we pause? Go ahead. Uh, I need to, I need to run inside real quick. Yeah, take your time. Yeah. Be right back. Oh. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. Oh yeah. You're good. You're totally good. But, um, but anyway, back to the uh, coin shortage thing, yeah. like I was saying, um, in my hobby of metal detecting and I collect coins or whatever, um, all these guys are talking about that. And, and like half the people think it's like total bullshit. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know. You know, I think, banks are still you can you know whatever back and forth on the coins and well well people have a misunderstanding of 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 banks period like 
like um, I've seen people come in, and I don't work at the bank anymore, um, but uh, they, they'll come in and want to, like, cash a, a $40,000 check. They're like, well, we can't, we can't do that. Right. You have to schedule that. Well, we, they're like, well, why not right. your bank? Yeah, but, but we're not the bank. We, we don't just, we're a bank, right. yeah, it and there's a risk. Yeah, we don't keep know, millions they, back here. Yeah, it exactly, just exactly. But, uh, it's, um, but there are people talking about coin charts. You know, if these guys that collect coins, like that's their main thing, they have stockpiles of coins and it's mm-hmm. freaking funny. Cause like, yeah. they're like, you're not getting my coins. And I guess I understand why you're keeping them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to give back, but like there are guys on Facebook that take pictures on these groups. They have like five gallon buckets of quarters and stuff like that. Like that they're going through like what they call coin roll hunting. They go to the bank and they'll get $500 worth of quarters. Oh yeah. And, and they'll, and they'll look through it for silver or just different yeah, uh, yeah. errors and the stuff like that in them. And, um, I don't get, I can't get into that. Cause I'm not going to sit there all day. Like, Oh wow. No, that's a, no I'm not interested in that. No, yeah. No, yeah. No, no. But, um, yeah, these guys are like, so I was like, well, if you really want to get the shortage back, you go like knock around the doors of these freaking coin collectors and be like, bro, you know, get off that $10,000 for the quarters you have. It's time to put that back in circulation. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm surprised if it, I guess if, if it gets to a certain point where that, will they have some kind of requirement to if you have a stockpile like that to put it back in circulation? I don't know how that works. I mean, they'd have to, that, they'd that's have a to, good question, but it, but, but, but it's also, even if they did that, now the question is, do you enforce it? And then, yeah. and then how do you enforce it? Well, right. you know, so right. it's, it's kind of a non-enforceable. Right, thing. right. True, true. And then it's also, does the, um, does the federal reserve have enough paper cash to give you, to give out all this money? They didn't have a dollar. You didn't have a bill shortage. <laughs> so it would coincide with itself, I guess. So, well, well, the money supply system is a really interesting thing, I and mean, it's a whole supply and demand system, really. But um, so I think what I thought people would do is they would essentially give you it'd be like a savings account. So banks would operate like well, not a savings account, but they'd essentially pay you like, hey, look, um, we're going to give you ten cents for every dollar worth. Oh, of kind coin. of like a money market thing. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah. exactly. So, so um, it basically be like an an. Well, I mean, a yeah. true incentive. I mean, that's yeah. really what I mean. Yeah, that you would give you give ten dollars for the coins, and we give you like a single roll. We'll give of me twelve fifty back. <laughs> yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting topic. Everybody was like coin shortage, coin shortage, coin shortage, and it's yeah. like I don't. It's a yeah. It's 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 definitely a real thing. And in fact, banks were even they couldn't purchase. They were limited on 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 how much coin they could request from the treasury. Oh wow. Yeah, so so it's not just like like the banks couldn't even get get coin, you know. Yeah, it was a shit show, man. Uh, yeah, I, I, it still is. I mean, but, yeah, I'll but they're trying to restart, you know, the mints because not all the mints run all, all at the same time. And plus, anticipating low business, they'll shut down mints because of COVID, and so they had to restart those. And you know, it's a it's a mint. Yeah, yeah right now they had um, I can't factory remember, whatever mint shut down not too long ago. You talking about collecting coins? Um, the um, the quarters that they had the, the D mark, the mint mark D on it, that they didn't make as many as the rest of them. So if you find one, keep one, it'd be worth something about 25 years. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've been finding, I usually look at all my coins. Like, like when I get them, right, I'll be right. the guy in line, like kind of I do that. I, looking at the year and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, so I've got a number, I've been finding a lot more, uh, silver, uh, silver nickels than, than I have, um, quarters i don't mess around with dimes but uh quarters i'll, I'll look for but i've found a couple of buffalo nickels i gave one to my um cool. father-in-law and you know because yeah, yeah. he collects coins nickels are iffy when it comes to looking for silver because they they made them for a certain few years with silver mm-hmm. and they stopped and they went back to them yeah. and it's like oh gosh um dimes are iffy um obviously it's 
anything 65 or older is going to yeah. be silver. But it's just the sheer weight of a dime. Um, the only dimes you look for with like good dimes are like the mercury dimes or the barber dimes. Mm. Those are worth looking for, worth and, having. And what are those? So um, it's kind of hard to explain, but the mercury dime has almost like a um, a Greek look to it, like a Greek head. It's got the little mercury bars, whatever they, oh, really? they, they wear on their heads. Um, but they came out in like... 40 something. Okay. I'm not mistaken. I'm not a true expert on all of it yet. That's another thing. Learning coins is, oh my gosh. There's so many errors. There's so many different mints and dates and stuff like that. See, th- this is the thing, man. Like, I love talking to people that are interested in something that, that, um, I'm not even going to say I'm not interested in because every time somebody tells me about something that they're interested in, the way they talk about it makes me interested in it. Right, right. You know, so um, it's very easily it's very easy to get me interested in things. You know, right. I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, you could talk about if if you have a love for brooms, I'll I'll listen because you you like your brooms. You know? Yeah, it's exactly. Cool. And, and it's like, and, and the thing is, like, there's so much depth. Right, there's so much depth with anything that we have no idea about. Right, yeah, right, for right. sure, for sure. And it's like like going back to the coins. Uh, that's something you'll never stop learning about. Like it's yeah. nothing. There's something new every day. I'm not going to be able to keep up with it. I, I at first you I was kind of like, have to specialize. It sounds right. Like. At first yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm going to read everything I can. And I was like, I'm tired of reading. I yeah. can't read no more. Like my, I'm forgetting what I was reading before. And I mean, cause there's so many different variables, even with just like one particular dime, mm-hmm. like they go out there like every little thing, the year it was made, where it was made at. And yeah, all just crazy. But, um, it's, it's an interesting hobby though. Um, but it's, it's just a hobby. I couldn't make a living with it. People do, but not me. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, but the coin shortage got me with that. It kind of threw me off for a loop for a little while. But I believe it was there, but like I didn't know it was. I don't know how serious it truly was. Yeah, like you just yeah, because the store started doing a thing where like, well, we got to round up and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and around. You know, I'm like, whoa, hold up now. Kind well, of, and 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 people then got scared about like, oh, well, they're trying to get rid of currency. And I saw this one thing on Facebook where someone was saying, if you get rid of paper money, these are the things that you'll no longer be able to do. And, and it was all like aimed at the heartstrings. Like if, yeah. if, if your kid goes to help out your, your, your grandfather or, or something, they can't get, you know, paid just cash right there. But the thing is also like, well, you would just Venmo the money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> paper money is not going anywhere. No, like, it's you, not. you can, people have this, like, it's almost like a freaking, um, conspiracy theory i guess yeah we're all going we're having to go to you know cards and plastic and stuff and there's always going to be a bank it's always going to be able to go there and you're always mm-hmm. going to be able to exchange paper money for whatever form of currency yeah. you want i don't i mean it's it is what it is um but yeah it's um the, the coins i don't know yeah we'll get over the coin short one day i guess yeah, I don't think it's going to last uh too much longer honestly um and and unfortunately i think that I'm one of those that believes that COVID's probably going away after the election. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm totally believing that. It, it's, this is another election virus. I think what scares people more about COVID than anything is there is no season on it, like flu season. You know, what, you know when it's going to be here, and you know when it's going to be gone. I don't know why people aren't talking more about, like, so it, it, the virus doesn't do well in high heat. And we're right. getting into the winter months, but we don't seem to be talking about that. Like, it's, no. to me, I, it seems like, okay, well, if that's the case... And it does well when there's less sunlight. Well, there's less sunlight in winter. So aren't the, those the conditions for COVID? So we could run into a COVID and flu type of, uh, right. type I of mean, season. And what, what, what are you going to know if you have either one of them? I mean, which one are you going to know you have? Yeah. I mean, the, all the symptoms are flu related. So, yeah. I mean, it's like, um, 
I don't know. My, my, my father-in-law was tested positive for it. Him and, and, and my mother-in-law both. Um, he said, yeah, I got sick for a day and it was over with. He said, but I felt like I had a, a flu. Like it was a normal flu style symptom. So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm totally, I'm, I'm like you. I think November, it's going to pretty much be washed under the rug and uh, unless Trump becomes president. And I have a feeling they're going to try to keep it riding out a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is going to be an interesting election over anything. This, yeah. 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 I, 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 <laughs> The political scene this year has been just uh, a, a complete, um, I don't know, disaster, I guess is probably the best way to look at it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not even about, like, it's, it's, it's just a reality show. That's all it is. It's, it, it's a very, it's a reality show that has, like, real consequences. It reminds me of, like, Saturday Night Live skits back in the day. So, like, yeah. Jim Carrey and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, they just put two random guys up there and just let them blabber. Yeah. Um, but or like whose lines it anyway when they yes. just, like, but and yeah. that's really what it is but like you said there's real world consequences now yeah and I don't think either one of the candidates that we have now are understanding that and it like well I I don't think well first of all I think they're terrible candidates you know personally I agree um you know there's there's yeah yeah it's a, that's that's like one of the touchiest subjects right now is who are you voting for huh <laughs> the I saw uh, I saw uh. I saw a, a bumper sticker that said fine dot Biden, you know, had had the Biden emblem mm-hmm. and, and then below it, it said, but this is bullshit, you know, like <laughs> fine Biden, but this is bullshit. That's good. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I, man, I don't know. That's, it's going to be, like I said, this is one of the most interesting elections that I can remember as an adult. I mean, I can't, I can't vote. I don't think I can vote for Biden without seeing a debate because I, I, I don't think he's there. And, and to me, I think, it wouldn't surprise me if the strategy of the Democrats is to get him in office, have him resign, Kamala Harris takes over, and then uh, in the next, uh, the next speaker is not Nancy Pelosi, and she's available to become right. the vice president. Right. Yeah, I saw they were talking about that because they went down the chain of command of how the government works, something like that, yeah. and that's that is the. That's but how you it don't goes. move up. Like that's a misconception people have. Like the. Um, like that's the line of succession for who would be president. It's not the line of succession for vice president because it's possible to leave that seat empty. Yeah. So, so, and that happened during, um, I want to say it was the Nixon. I think it was Nixon, but he eventually, because the speaker of the house, whenever I think, I think when Nixon resigned and I forget the president that moved up, um, anyway, that was vacant for a bit, but the speaker never moved into that. It never changed. Hmm. The speaker didn't change actually until that term and the next term were over, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's- so um, I, I, I see it very. It's very possible that that they're going to uh, use use that opportunity to get um, somebody in the vice presidency for for political reasons. Could be Hillary. Oh, you know that'll be interesting. Yeah, you know, you know, you, you hadn't seen her um, being on the on any kind of form of news right now with that with that lawsuit and stuff that was going on with her having yeah. to go support in court. She she kind of hunkered down and went quiet for a little bit. I guess yeah. she didn't want nothing on it right now. Yeah, um, she hadn't even mentioned anything about COVID. Usually, she's all top of the kind of stuff like yeah. that. So, um, it's going to be interesting seeing the debates with Biden and Trump. If if That's, they happen. Right. If they, they might not happen. happen. Um, like, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if they said something to the effect of, like, um, well, Nancy Pelosi's already, you know, said, like, what do we need debates for anyway? And it's like, come on. Like, why, you know? Yeah, that's, if, why shouldn't we have debates? That's, that's, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and, but, but I could see them saying, like, well, due to COVID and for health reasons, because they're both older, we shouldn't do that. But we could do Kamala and Pence, which would favor the Democrats, I think. Because she's, she's very good on stage. Well, they just don't want 
Trump that just talk. That's the only thing. You know, it's do I feel Trump's fit to be president? I'm on the fence on that. Yeah. He, his his voice get his mouth gets him in trouble. He should. I don't think any president should have a Twitter account. That's. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 arguably like a a, a a a a broadcast system for like you know official policy. You know, right. like he's he's taunting nations. You know, yeah, there. that's that's the one thing you don't. That's you know, the bully gets hit one day, and that's what happens. Yeah, and that's. I, Yes, our, we have a strong nation, but you keep poking at other nations, it's going to piss them off, and you're going to see, I'm, I hate to say it, but you, you're going to see another 9-11 if we don't watch it. Like, you keep pissing somebody off. It's not off the table, I I'm, I'm, I'm imagine. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting for sure. Very, very interesting. But, but yeah, th- What do you think? You think they're going to have, have debates? I hope they do, but I don't yeah. know. I don't see why they couldn't. I don't think there's any excuse why they yeah. couldn't have a debate. I, I want to see the a, a four hour debate with uh, you know, the, oh the, yeah, uh, idea with Joe Rogan doing it, you know, being the moderator. Oh, bro, that would be great! Like yeah. a debate podcast. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, yeah, apparently, I think it was Tim Kennedy asked him uh, if if he'd be willing to do that, and then Trump uh, saw that Tim Kennedy had tweeted that, and he retweeted it. And said something like "I'm I'm in" or "Absolutely" or something. I don't, so. I don't honestly. I think that form of debate would work out well having a, a podcast style debate like that. I guess you want to say. Well, it's uh, got to be long form, and the thing that most of these moderators do is they is they throw softball questions to the candidate that they like, and right. like they don't answer the damn questions. Right, they yeah, don't. They, they let them beat around the bush and, yeah. let, and go on the next question. They yeah. let them avoid it all. Joe Rogan's not. I do like Joe Rogan's show. He's he. Yeah, he, he he don't go to the next step until that question gets covered. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, for so, sure. But I, I don't see it happening. This with Joe Rogan. No, I don't. I, I don't I, think so either. But it, it would happen. be great. But um, I do feel they need a debate. I mean, it's with any any president. I don't care who it is. It could be anybody. There's debate should be there. It gets them in their focus of what they're supposed to be doing, and you can't script it. Like that's the main thing is they're well, on their own. Try as they might. Try as they, yeah. yeah. But but it's gonna happen i mean mm-hmm. you're gonna just answer you're gonna answer the questions the way they are and the other person has anything they can say anything they want to say back to it so i think they need to I, it's definitely necessary yeah. to have a true con- to let the people have a true conclusion on what they want to come up with i think also uh, we've like we got to address whether or not joe biden is, is like mentally capable oh, man he is like the, the facebook stuff on face the things he's saying like i my, my kids didn't even say stuff like that babbling you know yeah talking about curly hairs and all kinds of weird stuff. Like, yeah, where does this yeah. come from? Like, and it seems also like one of the, one of the benefits to, to, to COVID is, is like the social distancing thing. So Joe Rogan or not, not Joe Rogan, Joe Biden can't like touch other people. inappropriately. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Right. And it's like, and, and why is that like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like people that support that are kind of complicit in that behavior. Like, like well, that's the, what you know? gets me is like, you, you should be like, man, you look at this picture. He's physically sniffing her hair. Yeah. Oh man. He's, he's like, how do you not? Have you, have you seen the one where the, where he's on stage with the woman at the podium and she points and then he like puts her right. Like, like, what? Puts her finger in his mouth. Like, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> it's like what my two year old would do. You know? Yeah. It's, I don't know, man. He's, he, he they both make good puppets. I mean, if you really yeah, want to and get that's down. all it is. It's a puppet it's, show, man. It's really, it's always been a puppet show. I yeah. Mean, well, the problem, too, is that I think people put too much effort, uh, you know, or, or belief in, like, the power of the presidency. At best, that's one-third. That's, right. That's one-third of, of, of the government, and it's not 
government that that actually affects you day to day. Your representatives do. Right. Your city does. Absolutely. You know, every day that affects you. Like you should be more involved there. Well, I'll tell you what gets me. I think that as a people as a whole, as the United States, we need to have more focus on who the Supreme Court judge is going to be. Like yeah. the Supreme Courts are like nothing gets, and that's the major thing. And, and like also our representatives, they don't really push this importance on voting for representatives or state senate too much but right. those are the guys that are going up there and pushing for what you want yeah and everybody just thinks the president can just go up there and say or do what he wants to do no there's a lot of people in chain of command that they have to go through before they can just get this done well and and also i would say that by by focusing on the president and not the people in congress that actually represent you you're allowing them to be dysfunctional but what you should be doing is putting pressure on them every election, you know, and forcing them to be accountable because there, there's this weird thing going on where, like, Congress doesn't have to be productive. They don't have to agree on things. They can sit on either side of the aisle and, and, not, and not cooperate. And that's more dysfunctional than, than the asshole who's, you know, at the head of the executive office, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's, um... Because he doesn't write law. He only has executive order, which has the backing of law, but he's also restricted to only his executive cabinet. Congress covers the nation. Right. They it, write law. Well, it goes down to the thing where they're like, well, the, the government had to shut down today. Uh, they didn't shut down. I, I get that. Like, they're shut down. Like, mm-hmm. they're not doing anything. But that doesn't mean the police are still out running around. That doesn't mean the, the, the <laughs> like, yeah. they had this whole perspective of like, oh, the world, uh, United States is shut down. You know, we can do whatever we want to. No, they're, they're still... People are still working. The, yeah. the, the government don't have to be there to do what they do. Yeah. Um, but, the, yeah, they're taking a lot away from what Congress is supposed to be doing because they're so mind-focused and mindset on the president. At all times. Like, yeah. it's it. Like, they don't they don't even care about the rest of the elections going on right now. Yeah. You know, in November, there's more elections than just president. Yeah, and, exactly. And that's, that, that's, I hadn't seen any candidate for any of that. Mm-hmm. It's all been the presidents. That's right. So, I mean, it's a... There's also bills that, uh, that, that are going to be on the ballot for, like, your state state bills. I mean, there's right. a there's one that's going to open up uh, legalizing marijuana. That that's going to be on the same yeah Mississippi. Yeah, and there's a, I think there's actually two of them on yeah. there. I don't know why there's stuff still yet to understand why there's so, two different ballots. So the other one, uh, one of them, and I think it's 45 state bill 45 and 45A, which is for alternate, and A has um, it's it doesn't have as wide it doesn't allow I think for a, as wide a use. Okay. Um, as the first does, but there's no implementation date. That's key on that because because there's no in- yeah, they implementation. They can just hold it off whenever they, they want just to. Hold it off. Right. So right. hey, we passed this bill. It's there, and I think that's the reason they did it is because um, on paper, I forget what the actual benefit was, but there's one thing on there that that, that makes it look attractive. It but, but there's no implementation date. The other one has to start. They have to start issuing cards by August of 2021. Right. So, well, that's like I laugh about it. Everybody was talking about, well, the doctors aren't going to get prescriptions. I said, no, there's going to be doctors moving into town that will give you that prescription. They're giving it to you. Um, That's a very touchy subject as well as legalization of marijuana. Um, How do you feel about that? Should it be something that should be done? Or? All about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm actually, um, I'm, I'm one of those who, who believes in the, de- the decriminalization of um, most drugs. Um, and in fact, uh, I like the way Portugal does it. So it's all taxed and the majority of the money has to go back into the state. Um, and, and, and not just that, but into the state to provide for treatment centers. And they've got, and I don't know if this is in, 
Portugal, but somewhere in the world, they've got safe injection sites where you go in and they'll give you clean needles and stuff like that. But you always have to walk through a treatment center in order to get to it. Okay. So, 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 so they have to be co-located, has to be open the same time. And you have to, it's kind of the idea. Do you know why drinks, the psychological reason why drinks are at the back of the convenience store? Yeah, Cause you get the chips on the way there. That's right. Yeah. And coming back, yeah. you know, so, so that's, that's the whole idea. You know, you're going to, you're going to have to get exposed because there's going to be a guilt as you walk through there. Oh, and that's point. going to get people off of the drug, yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's too many resources wasted on, on, on something like that. And, well, so I think about like the legalization of marijuana. People don't, or also they don't think of as it's not just the fact that somebody gets to smoke marijuana now. You know, the, the industry, what the plant, I mean, paper, I mean, just so many different industries get opened up, jobs get created. I mean, yeah. everybody just are so fixated on the drug side of it. I mean, um, I'm all for it. I mean, it, I'm, I'm like you. I might as well just go full blown with it and let everybody do what they want to do in a sense. I mean, there's got to be a lot of restrictions and a lot of you know regulations and yeah, a, a yeah, game you've, plan you've, set. You've got to regulate it to some degree. Like, you don't want someone that's 14 years old. You know, right, absolutely. And that's it. what, and that, but everybody keeps giving a bad finger. Colorado has done amazing with it. Yeah, it's, they've also created some, some problems because right. people have kind of flocked there. True. And so it has created an inflated housing market. And yes, that's, yes. that's the thing I, I would worry that. about with. The, with Mississippi, yeah, is our that market you, sucks already as it is. Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah. I mean, but it would drive the cost of homes up. Um, you would, and if it doesn't, well, it would do two things. It would it would drive the cost of available of the available inventory of homes up, and then it it would also bring in contractors who are going to build the shit right, out of homes. Right, and you can see micro you know? homes and stuff. But yeah. um, Mississippi doesn't want it because they make so much money on arrest every day. It's just unheard but of. But they would make so much more money. By taxing it, well, all right. so much more money. So, Mississippi has some of the most fertile soil in, I think, the most fertile soil in North America well, in the Mississippi Black Belt. We're the only state that has a federally funded marijuana grow facility in the United States. Oh, really? You know, uh, Old Miss has a, no, Mississippi State. I'm sorry, Mississippi State has a federally funded pot farm. Hell State. Yeah, Hell State. <laughs> yeah, right. Bulldog Bash. Probably go yeah, there, boys. And, and it's not. It's not really for me. Like I can't. I can't smoke right, weed. Right. You know. Um, but. Uh, I, I mean, I use it to self-medicate. I mean, I raced yeah. dirt bike in 13, 12, 13. Yeah. And tore it up. And I mean, I'm not. Do I use it for recreational? Now, now, do I will? I. But yeah. Um, I mean, I spent thirty days in jail in two thousand eighteen over it. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, that's I went to a friend, uh, my brother's house up in Hattiesburg, and lay home. Went the roadblock, and the dog was there while the cop was talking to me. Walk around, and I had just enough for my self medication time. And um, yeah, thirty days in jail. Um, oh it, shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it what the uh, for, the point of getting arrested for it, but is when you go to court, he's like, well, can you you know this this you get this as your options, and well, that was the best option, I guess. Gotcha. But um, the way the the city made like one hundred eighty five dollars a day off the state for me being in there for those thirty days. Hundred eighty five dollars really? a day, like hmm. clockwork. Yeah. Plus the the food, and that was just what the state pays. I'm not counting everything else that was going. But they, I think at the end of the day, they made like like fifty five hundred dollars off me or something like that for the thirty days I was there. Wow. And there was twelve guys in there at any given time. So I mean, that's, yeah, a, that's, that's a lot of money being yeah, made. That's more than sixty grand, right? You know? Just within a matter of time. So yeah, they're they'll, they're going to lose a lot of money. I see. Over okay. Rest. So you're talking about like the 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 private prison system, right? Right. That's, right. That's, well, okay. or, or the city, the citywide, the county's facilities. I was in Lamar County. Oh, okay. So the the counties are going to lose a lot. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't actually city, consider that. Yeah. So the city of Purvis, which is where the Lamar County Jail is, the city of Purvis, that's a dry county. They don't do alcohol. They don't sell mm. any beer. They don't have casinos, obviously. 
So their main form of in-town resources and money that's contributing is from the jail. Because it, I mean, you, you get caught driving through that town with a can of beer in your with a can of beer in the car. It's a it's a container and it's alcohol in Dry County. It's a ticket. It's a fine. If you can't pay it, they take you to jail. So they make a lot of money off this stuff because of the aspect. That's why that right now they're not happy because the Tate Reeves in, implied the whole um, they dropped the Dry County thing, where you know you can't you know the city still has a choice of where they want to sell alcohol or not, obviously. But like if you go to Hattiesburg and buy you a 12 pack of beer or a bottle or whatever, and you bring it back home and you want to drink it at your house, it should be legal. And if you get stopped along the way, they can't write you a ticket for that. I mean, there's no reason for that. And, but there for a while, if you were driving from the coast to Hattiesburg, which was, it's going from a wet town to a wet town and you go through Lamar County, which is a dry County and you got a six pack of unopened beer in your cooler, that's six counts of alcohol in a dry County. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, it gets a little deeper than that, but that's basically what they're, and they're going to get you possession of alcohol in a dry county. And God forbid if one of those, like, I don't know how the state is now with law, but like, you know, if you want to load up with your buddies and drive around, as long as the person that's driving the car is sober, the other guys, they can drink and hammer their beer back all day mm-hmm. long. You go through there with the one open beer and the driver's getting hit with that open container because he has access to it. Well, that's pretty shitty. Yeah, right. And I like <clears throat> the judge up there, like, because all I had was a little small marijuana pipe. I didn't even have the actual marijuana. So, oh, okay. and I kind of, I kind of made the judgment. I said, you know, if I was on the coast, I would have got a ticket and got my pipe cons- taken away and go home. He said, well, he should, he said, you should go to jail. And I was like, well, I don't know. I, I guess we're all different opinions on that. <laughs> but, yeah. um, I think that that's one of the main contributing factors in the Mississippi is they don't want to legalize it because they make a money off from it. Also, and it's, it's such a poor state. So that actually makes sense that, right, you know, right. But I, I think honestly, you're going to make money either way. It's, I think it's going to outweigh the odds. Well, not for a dry county because, you know, if you're not going to allow alcohol, you're, you're probably not going to allow, you know, the uh, consumption true. of, of, of true, marijuana. True. So that so those counties are going to be heavily affected by it. Now, are there counties in Colorado that do? I mean, there are cities that are dry cities as far as the... I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And, uh, well, the great thing about... I don't know how the money gets divided Neither up. Do I. You know, I'm sure the city taxes it and they could develop a specific marijuana tax, but the city makes money off of every transaction, you know, because, because they tax the purchase of right. it. So there's that. Um, and the businesses that open up in these cities are very profitable. So they make money on property taxes as well. So, so cities do benefit, maybe not directly from like marijuana, but they'll at least get the sale for sure. Unless they pass a specific marijuana tax, which wouldn't surprise me, which right. a city that, is being forced Boom. to, forced to, um, like kind of change. Well, what they should do is ha- is just have a heavy marijuana tax. Right. You know, yeah. they, they're making money either way. Then I mean, and then there's still going to be law. I mean, driving under the you can't drive under the influence with it, which I understand. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's if you have too much, if it's not in the proper bag, if it's not in the proper container, there's yeah. a fine. So you're just going to have to start enforcing those laws a lot heavier than than just the other laws. Yeah. I mean, so I think the market's going to be there for the police too as well. Uh-huh. And they're going to regulate it just as much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I don't think there's going to be money loss. I think there's a money. I think there's it's, a lot of money to be gained. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's definitely going to be a, uh, a, a transformation in the way that they do right. things. But I just, I think, man, if you were to, if you were to take alcohol and then you were to take marijuana and put them on the table and say, um, people are going to have access to one of these two things. But these are the benefits and these are the cons of it as well. And I think you pick marijuana every time. Right. And I, I believe that. I mean, you got to look at the aspect of the, um, how many drunk driving episodes. I mean, how many drunk driving accidents do you see compared to people driving on the influence of marijuana? Or 
you can't you can't consume marijuana and overdose. Yeah, you can't you can't overdose, but you can get alcohol poisoning and die. Right, right. I've I've done in high school. I've tried to die from marijuana. Yeah, 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 that, that was like a purpose thing. We're like, yeah, it's, we're gonna do it's it. It's like we're a rite of it. passage of being an American. <laughs> like you just have to get to that point, you know. And um, yeah, but um, and that's the thing. Also, it helps with. I mean, you're you're gonna see the the drop in overdose cases. I think so too, because because they'll shift to something that's 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 legal, right? You and know, it's most, not most as invasive will. on your body as well. I mean, yeah. it doesn't destroy your liver. Or doesn't I mean? Nah, I can't say that. I mean, I'm pretty sure the tar content and with your lungs might be yeah. a, a long term effect on it. But then again, I mean, look at Willie Nelson. That man's still kicking, and he, yeah, Snoop, yeah. look Snoop Dogg for example. I yeah. mean, they're all doing. They all do really well for themselves, and yeah. they love the. Did you know that Snoop Dogg employs a guy? To roll his blunts. To roll his blunts. Yeah. I just saw a video about yeah. that. Uh, he was on, I think, the Howard Stern show. He makes like 50000 a year just to roll $50,000 a year. To and all the marijuana you <laughs> can smoke. I was like, wow, that's a... Wow. These guys got it. A good job. Well, that's like... A, but in California, it's probably right. not that much money. Yeah. Wiz Khalifa, he claims he spends like ten dollars to $15,000 a month on marijuana. I believe it, man, because, because he's got access to probably the, the really designer, you know, But still, like, how do you... Sp- make that much to spend that much I guess you want to say Look, I mean I know how you make that hey, much but like everybody bro. has a hobby man you <laughs> know? I'm sure there's some famous people out there that that, that spend $10,000 yeah, a month yeah. playing golf that's the um, I tell you what that's the probably the bad fact about people that like to enjoy marijuana is that one of the most expensive drugs you can buy as far as by the weight I guess you want to say really yeah I think what they were saying like the um, average gram of marijuana in a dispensary in California is like Thirty-five, forty dollars, or something like that. Uh, I would say, first of all, I believe that, um, but I would say that it wouldn't be that high in other parts of the country because California is no, just no, so no, damn no, expensive. No, no, not at all. You but know? my also thing is, is that's probably some high quality H two O, something <laughs> you've never touched in high school in your life, and how long is that going to last you? Yeah, because I mean, the average Joe, that's yeah. Yeah, um, it, it's it's funny too. I I love the names, you know, like Purple Snake oh Monster my or something, gosh. or. Um, yeah, you know, and, and then and then how people how people uh, describe it as well. Like I've heard people talk talk about how they went into a a dispensary and they wanted to try something that's more of a designer type. And and this guy's like, well, this one right here, like it's you know this is this is called you know left toe of the you know of of the pumpkin patch or whatever. And he said, and and like <laughs> this will. This will make you multidimensional, you know, like sh- like shit like that. Yeah, it's like um, you ever seen a movie Grandma's Boy? Yeah, no. where he's like, uh, what is it? Uh, this this will make you talk to the deer, yeah. or this will make you see this. And he's like, just give me some of the deer stuff and some of this stuff, and just mix it all together. <laughs> man, you want to go to Looney Bin? I'll go to Looney Bin with you, man. And that's the kind of stuff I I, I can see the guy. People in Colorado at the bar now, because like you know, down here you go to the bar, you drink some beers, you hang out and play pool. Yeah, I guarantee there's not a pool table being used in a bar up in Colorado where you smoke. Yeah. It's just too much effort to get out of your table and go over there and play. It's probably pretty cheap to consume marijuana in a bar that allows uh, smoking marijuana because you just get contact high. The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, it's funny. Everybody has this thing. Well, just contact high. There's no such thing as that. No, 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 no. I have driven people's cars. That that's what I. That's a very big hobby of theirs. Yeah. Is to smoke marijuana. And the second you open the door to get in it, you're like, "Holy crap!" I got a contact high at a Van Halen concert. <laughs> yeah. Hope I don't it's get drug tested the next day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, seriously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 crazy stuff. And and I just I know people uh, that are in my that are in my life that that benefit from it. And, right. And to me, I think about them. You right. know, again, it it really doesn't affect me. It might make my property taxes lower, 
you know, because, uh, because they're getting more money. But I also think that one of the problems with, with either of those bills too, is that it doesn't make the money accessible, right? Yeah. It just makes it, it puts it in a sort of account. But I think the evolution is that you would see once it's more, um, accepted, uh, you'll see a law that's passed that, that, uh, taps uh, into that budget, taps into that budget, <laughs> you know, makes it, makes the recreational use a little better because this is just a stepping stone. Oh, that's absolutely. all it is. There's going to be at least, you know, one or two more bills that are going to make it more accessible and decriminalize and, you know, stuff well, like that. I, th- I think the main thing is that I don't know if even Mississippi, uh, the whole Bible belt, cause that's the one that's going to be the last ones to do anything as yeah. far as legalizing of any kind of storm of any pill or, or other yeah. than what the pharmaceuticals say it's okay to do. Yeah. Um, that's another big push that's keeping it from getting legalized is the big pharmaceutical companies don't want it cause it's going to take away from their revenue of people taking narcotics and opioids. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and I was surprised moving back that there were CBD shops here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's like for, like I said, for a person, like I said, I, I wrecked a dirt bike in nine, 10, something like that, 11, and um, tore my shoulder all the hell in the back. I got a couple of vertebrae on my back that I probably need to go have surgery done, but I refuse oh, to have shit. back surgery on my back. Same here. I, I, I refuse. I've got the same issue, yeah, um, or a similar one. But, um, and the doctor's idea was here, here's a whole bunch of muscle relaxers, enjoy your life. And I was like, man, that's, I have a high tolerance for medicine for my size anyway. Mm-hmm. So, and I was having to take almost triple the daily, the recommended dosage yeah. to even get the effect of what the pill is supposed to do. Yeah. And it was starting to kill my liver. Like you could physically, like I, it was hurting yeah. like, to the point where pain. So I stopped. And then a good friend of mine was like, man, just smoke you a joint. And I was like, well, I don't want to be stupid high. I got kids. I can't, I don't want that around them. I don't, you know, yeah. and he's like, go take you to take your dog for a walk, smoke you a joint. So hell eight, nine, 10 years ago, him and I got together and I did and like one or two hits and there was no more muscle pain. No, no issues. I could, my back felt fine. And that's how long did it last? Um, I could sleep that night all night that sleep the next morning. Like I wasn't stowed up that next morning. So I, during the day, I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I work and stuff like that. So it's not mm-hmm. like I recreationally got to go blow down on it. Yeah. But when I do need it, 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 it gives, it serves its purpose. It puts me, it lets me go to sleep. And the next day I'm not stowed up and having to do some weird stretches or something like that to get yeah. it all back in rotation. Cause back stretching is the worst thing in the world. And I try to avoid <laughs> it as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I went through, so transitioning out of like kind of active duty, um, the medical thing was, was kind of difficult to transition for me. And so I was on this like, you know, pain medicine or getting like a shot in my back, but I went such a long time without it that I ended up having a back episode. And so then like, it just, it lasted for like, you know, months and, or, or, or would go away and come back. And so I ended up like, it was painful to stretch and, and it's painful to like kind of work out and stuff. So, um, ended up, uh, and, and those create more problems, you know, like if you don't regularly stretch and, and like kind of work out and, and, and stay, you know, um, nimble, then uh, it's going to, those back episodes are going to be worse off, you know, so right. it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough thing to manage. It really is. It's right, frustrating. Right. And that's, the thing is, is nowadays is it is, here's a pill. Here, there's a pill for everything now. Yeah. I mean, there's literally, there's a pill for every episode, every problem. Yeah. So it, it's, it's. It's scary because, I mean, that's, I have a lot of family members that are, and my family has a lot of, it's prone to addiction, you know, for pills and, yeah. and drinking and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's at a young age, I see all that. And I, now I'm older, I, I know my body is genetically is susceptible to that possible. Yeah. I mean, addiction is genetic. I, I guess if some people say that, I don't know, but it kind of, 
I guess I can see proof that my family, because it's, mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, uncles get their kids involved with drugs over the years because that's all the kid sees. And it's like, you know, it's, it's going, it's, it's, it's could become a family affair. Yeah. So I was always scared of that, like getting on some kind of prescribed pill. And next thing you know, you're stuck on it for the rest of your life. And that's yeah. all you rely on it. So it gets old. And that's what I was seeing when I hurt myself is that's, they were just, no, oh, if that don't work, this medicine's not working no more. Here, here's a different one. And it's stronger. This one will work for a little while. Yeah. When that one don't work, we'll give you another one. Yeah. I don't want to get on the, on the, on the, on the pain pill thing, you know, so, um, you know, I, I kind of opted for the, for the pain management for the shots. And it's not like I could, like, I've always wanted to just try the, try the marijuana aspect of it. But unfortunately, like if I work for the, for the government, I, I, I can't do right, it. And, right. and that's, absolutely. that's kind of frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, there, there's a lot of benefits to it all. I'm sure. I mean, to certain medicines, yes, there's benefits. Um, but I mean, it's not like it's a, a thing that's going to go away. I mean, yeah. I think at a certain point, medicine's going to run out and you're not, or the design of medicine's going to run out. Mm-hmm. So I really don't know what's going to happen with it. But if there's a natural alternative, well, why not go with it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, I'd be curious. I just, I, I've always wanted to do the CBD thing, um, but I, I, I don't know if that shows up in a, you know, in a, so in a piss test. So from what I, I kind of underst- have to refrain from it. From what I understand with the CBD <clears throat> stuff, it's if you take so much of it, so many milligrams, it'll show yeah. up in a, in a, in a test. But um, I don't know much about it. Yeah. I haven't really researched it too much. Yeah. I assume that, that basically since it's <laughs> like it's I can't take it, it's like, you know, what's the what's the point of risking it? Right. What, what, what's the chances of it of getting caught and all that stuff as well? I mean, it's – but, yeah, I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see what the states do with it, not just our state even. Like, yeah. Arkansas is going to have the hardest time, I think. Like, yeah. Arkansas is real big on Bible Belt and – they don't want none of that stuff in their town. Yeah. So that'll be something interesting to see. Well, I, I think, I think you're going to see younger people get into politics. There, there, there seems to be a, a, a movement with that. So I think that'll, that'll help, help the sort of transition. I mean, look at our mayor, our mayor, you know, got elected, I think at 20, I just interviewed him, but I think, uh, I think he was in his twenties. I think that's what he said, but yeah, yeah. I think he's doing a good job too. Yeah, I, I think he's doing a pretty good job. But um, all that, and also you got the fact that all these, almost all the old heads, they're unfortunately they're they're either retiring or unfortunately they're they're dying off. As far yeah. as the older Republicans and not Republicans, but any person yeah. in Congress, so um, that's the next thing is somebody's got to take over. Mm-hmm. So the, obviously the younger people are the one that's going to do it. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in the politics. There's no way I could be in politics. <laughs> I mean, but somebody's got to do it, I guess. Yeah, it's never going to go away. So. Yeah, I I could. I could see myself getting getting involved with it, but uh, I just I don't I don't know that I'm intelligent enough or wise enough to to, to kind of do that. But um, you know, again, I'm 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 appreciative that uh, that young people younger people do do get involved. Right, right. I mean, it's um, I, I don't think I have the mental state to deal yeah. with that much stuff. Like, yeah, and you're dealing with like, especially at the like the city level, you're. You're probably dealing with some pretty petty stuff. It's a bunch of Karens. <laughs> you got a bunch of Karens at your door every day. La, 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 la. This fire extinguisher for this. Why did I yeah. get this ticket? Right, why why right. do I have this? I mean, that's, yeah. Um, especially Ocean Springs. Could you imagine the, the petty stuff that you get complaints about yeah. Ocean Springs about? Yeah. The, yeah. Especially with the diversity of people in here. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Um, I could see this. Now you're thinking about that. I could just see a lot of the people coming there all upset and pissed off. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, go ahead. Well, uh, I was going to ask you because I realized we didn't really tap tap much into it. What 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 got you into metal detecting? All right, so metal detecting. Um, 
it kind of goes back to um, me getting in trouble as a kid. And like, if my okay. mind, if my mind idles, I get in trouble. Like sure. I start well, doing dumb yeah. things. So um, after I had kids and stuff like that, and um, I started getting a little bit of trouble again and drinking started a little bit, getting too bad after my adult years. And my wife and I kind of had a big long talk and I was like, look, I need to find, you know, basically kind of need to find something to do. Yeah. Keep my mind from idling. Yeah. Um, so um, a good friend of mine just so happened to be clearing out a garage and he had this old metal detector and I was like, what, what do you do with the metal detector? He's like, oh man, I, uh, I got metal detecting all the time. That's my old machine. I just bought a new one, blah, blah, blah. And I, I bought that little cheap machine from him and started doing it and it just got, became addicting. I mean, it's, I couldn't stop. So it's, uh, um, what, why? Like, what do you get out of it? It's the, so there's a couple different things. One, it's the thrill of um, what what I'm about to dig up. What what's it going to be in there? You know, how long has it been there? What's it going to be, and what kind of story does it have? The excitement of finding it and saying, still, I don't know what the hell it is because it's covered in dirt, and you got to clean it off. So the whole time you're like a little kid, you're like getting excited, and then once you do find it, you got to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. And then after you do that, and it's you figure out what it is, you do some research and certain things. But even when you can identify it right off the bat, it's um. That's something that someone left there X amount of years ago and that the last person that it thing saw was the person that it dropped. So what story, if it could tell a story, what story could it tell? And it always found me interesting. Um, and then you, you find something one day that's actually worth the dang. Because yeah. like, when I first started metal detecting, you know, you go to a local park and you dig up little girls' hair braids and um, <laughs> pennies out the butthole and yeah. Coca-Cola cans and just, oh, just a bunch of what they call can slaw, just slaw, pretty much yeah. crap. And then all of a sudden, one day you get lucky and you find like a, a silver quarter or something like that, and, and it puts that drive in you. But um, it um, it opened up a lot. It opened up a lot of other hobbies as well, like the the coin collecting, because um, you know obviously you're finding coins all day long and you mm-hmm. want to research them, and that gets you into coin hunting. Um, and then um, I got big into the history of our area because of it. Like in school, I could give a shit less about history. Yeah, like because the way they taught history was wrong, in my opinion. Like, Interesting. Well, it's, it's it's all about you know, Christopher Columbus landed here. This he did this. This date, date, date. It's all about dates, but they don't really. I mean, obviously, there's so much to talk about for history, but they don't yeah. really go too serious with it, should I say? And so I, it just became a bunch of numbers, and they all blended together. Well, then after high school, I get in the metal detecting after after whatever, and then um, you're like, well, you know, I'm getting tired of digging at parks and stuff all day. I want to actually go somewhere where there's something cool to be found. Because, like, you get on Facebook. At this point, I've done joined Facebook groups and metal detecting. And these mm-hmm. guys are, like, finding, you know, cannonballs from the Civil War and all these different places. And, and you're like, I want to be that. I want to find that cool yeah. stuff. I mean, I got a friend in Bosnia that metal detects, and he finds World War II stuff all day long. Like, wow. all kinds of crazy stuff. So, I was like, I want to find that kind of stuff. So, obviously you ask how do you find that stuff and they say well man you got to do your research your history and because i mean you can't go to the battlefields up mississippi and detect on them because they're protected federally protected um so i mean what do you do well you start doing research well the only battle down here was spanish fort mobile well that's a neighborhood now so you got to go knock on their door and say hey can i dig holes in your yard and think and i'm not gonna you know and people get looking like you're crazy but mm-hmm. you have to start researching history and looking at old maps and stuff so it, a hobby became a hobby on top of a hobby on top of a hobby, I yeah. guess you want to say. So now it's Irish history is like one of the coolest things about the metal detecting. And um, I could care less about history in school, man. I almost failed it. I pretty much, I struggled in every history class because I just didn't care. Isn't that so wild? Oh, yeah. man. It's, if, you, if, if you go back in time, I'd slap the hell out of my sis and look stupid. Take school a little more serious than what you're doing. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's. I think. I think for me, um, it's it's surprising to me how much geometry I use um, because of woodworking, and so I wish I wish there were 
to make math more interesting, I wish there were practical applications beyond word problems because they, they, they create word problems say, oh, well, he's got, you know, he's building a desk and he has to figure out that it's got this design and so he's got a right angle here, so he has to figure out the hypotenuse here. Using the Pythagorean theorem, how would you do this, you know? Um, but it'd be great to, to see, like, maybe if you're talking about the Pythagorean theorem, or theorem um, maybe you watched a video and saw how somebody applied that to create this triangle for this support for this desk and why that's important. And that might connect like here's real world value that I'm going to have in my life. And, and there's even, there's even trig, you know, I've got to use sine, cosine and tangent to figure out an angle on something. If I'm making like a, like an X pattern for like a, like an end table, I need to find what that angle is so I can cut it on my miter saw. Right. You know, so, so I'm using all that stuff and I wish, I wish I understood the practical application of it because trying to relearn that at 30 years old is tough. Right. Right. You know? Oh man. You, it's, you see that now with the common core stuff they have in school and, and doing homework with your kid at night. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't, I can't help you. Sorry, bud. Like I gotta let me go and learn how to do the Cause even like the way, the way they're teaching long division now is like way different the way we, we were mm-hmm. taught long division and you can't show them how you can find the answer. Because mm-hmm. they want to be, they want to be taught how they do it now. Yeah. So you're like, uh, uh, I give you the answer, but they're they're not gonna like how I did it. You know. It'd be great if schools offered like kind of nighttime workshops. And honestly, I, you know, they do in a sense. Okay. I mean, for like parents. Yeah. So so they have um, it's not really the schools themselves that are doing it, but there is a um, um, there's a retired teacher in Gulfport that she um, she does a little like video vlog, at, uh, on YouTube. Mm. of going over and how the school explains how they do their common core stuff now. And I've watched some of her videos because I'm telling you right now, some of the stuff that our kids are doing in school, like, you know, we always like make jokes about like my parent, our parents were like, oh, you, you know, you're doing this in third grade. And you're like, okay, well, now they're doing what we were doing in fifth grade and third grade. So like the, yeah. the advancement and the learning process was, yeah. was crazy. And they got me like my, my son came home in like second grade and he's, he's doing like very intense multiplication problems mm-hmm. for a second. I was like, first of all, why are you even doing multiplication in second grade? <laughs> Two. Wh- I'm trying to think. I think it was third grade for right. me. Right. And, and like, it's, it's, he went from, I don't, I don't remember. I didn't even see the, the multiple, the, the times tables. Like what happened to doing two times two, like a million times. Yeah. You know, I used to hate that. Um, but now he comes and it's like, you're borderline advanced geography or advanced or, or any, like, yeah. well, why, why are you learning this now? Yeah. Um, so it, but it's, it's crazy, and that's you respect things that you wish you would have held on to back mm-hmm. then, because like you, a lot of the stuff we learned in school, I took for granted. You know, mm-hmm. I'm never gonna like I had that mindset. When am I ever gonna do this? Like, I'm not. I don't care. Like, yeah, I'm never gonna find the area of this. Who gives a shit? Well, guess what? Yeah, you're finding the area of all kinds of stuff, especially like transmissions. I mean, um, fractions and percentages and clearances and stuff like that, and you know, getting down to the thousands the cl- yeah. clearances. In school, we were doing all that stuff, but I didn't care. Now I'm having to reteach myself yeah. how to redo all this. And it's not, it's not, it's teaching an old dog new tricks is hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny too, man. Um, when I was getting into woodworking, uh, the more precise you want to be, you got to, you know, start getting down to like 30 seconds, you know, and, 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 and stuff like that. And I thought like, God, I, I hate doing this. And then I thought, why don't I just do everything in metric? And so I, I, I put, it was really like kind of a month long kind of thinking about like, should I just convert everything to metric and do everything in centimeters? You know, I, I was, I was looking up like metric 
like specific metric uh, tapes for like my um, uh, my my cross cut sled and 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 everything else and um, I just I decided not to but I was like yeah it'd be so much easier you know yeah and that's one thing about like tools for example like kids learning soccer stuff and so you got metric and yeah, and yeah. so it's like go get this and they like they come back they're like well I, I couldn't find it well you're looking in the wrong drawer you got to go to the metric drawer yeah. well uh, yeah 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 <laughs> and then of course you learn things like a 14 to 9 16 right, right, yeah, yeah, right. and 19 to th- uh, yeah, a, a three quarter eights yeah. and five sixteens. yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's a um yeah if, if it's got a little if it's an old bolt you gotta drive a 9 16 somewhere 15 used to be and stuff mm-hmm. like that you know yeah. it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny man but yeah it's i do wish that that i kind of would have held on to to more of that um you know so but you know, we get older. Right, right. And that's, I think that's what goes back to like the metal detecting and stuff like that. Like I said, I had to care less about history, who sailed the ocean blue, none of that stuff mattered to me. Yeah. I mean, some of it was interesting. I always found like war stuff interesting and like the World War II is mm-hmm. history and all that stuff. But um, then I got, like I said, got the metal detecting and learn about things that happened here. Like, you know, we had a lot of history here. It, this is like, the Gulf Coast has been exchanged through so many different commands and chains of different people. Yeah. I mean, all the way from the French, they had the Dutch came in a little, a little while. I mean, it's just so many different cultures come through here and established and claimed this area as their own. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, we find everything. Um, I had one of the guys we, uh, I'm protecting at a house right now in ocean Springs. Um, the lady, um, that owns it, it's actually on front beach. It's a really, really, really beautiful piece of property. It's like six acres in the middle of ocean Springs. Okay. Then, like, it butts up with ocean with front beach and ocean springs and if you go back in the french era they put a french battery cannon battery site on that hill because it's the highest spot on the beach right there at the time really? so they put a french battery there to protect fort marpaw which you know everybody saw the old fort marpaw yeah that was not originally on front beach that wasn't no it's the original fort marpaw is actually up off and up, up was up in lover's lane somewhere Oh, okay. That's where the original fort used to be. That fort they put up on Ocean Springs Front Beach, that was just a the tourist thing that they okay. threw up and made it look like a real thing. But it, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it, it worked. But yeah. um, but that, that battery site where we were detecting at, that was the first line of defense for anybody coming into the bay to get to Fort Marpaw. Well, after the French decolonized and moved on, um, you got the Civil War era come in. They used it for a um, troop training camp. Because mm. you had the Battle of Spanish Fort in Mobile, mm-hmm. and you know Andrew Jackson was at his home was Beauvoir, and that was where that was headquarters for the Confederate for a long Jefferson time. Davis. Jefferson Davis, not Andrew, yeah, 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 yeah. Jefferson, Jefferson Davis. So you got Jefferson Davis was the he was the head yeah. head honcho, and that was his that was the headquarters for the Confederate for a long time. Um, so um, that's where they would train their troops, and that's where their one of their big camps were. Yeah, and it was easier to get there, so they're already crossed the bay, so they can go straight into Mobile Bay and fight. Mm-hmm. Um, after that was all said and done, you fast forward after the war and um, there was, you know, I must say the slavery era, it was a slave camp. They, they actually held slaves there for auctioning off to part of the parts of the United States. Wild. And they had a boat come right into the front bay and unload them all. And that's where they stayed. They had big area. Um, and it went through a couple different things. But the lady that owns it now, her husband, uh, her parents bought it in like 61 uh-huh. 1961 and um the original colony house that was for the slave camp was still there and the house burnt down in 70 something mm-hmm. and they bulldozed it bulldozed it down the hill and built the house that's standing there now but um 
this one piece of property has so much history on it. I mean, it's got every bit of history. So, I mean, we're finding everything um, from French doubloons, um, like really? co- copper doubloons and stuff like that. Uh, we have what they call, uh, there's a couple different names for it. Some people call it a jetton. Some people call it a jeton. Um, but it's just, it's, what they, it's a French jeton. I'll show a picture of it to you on the phone later, what they look like. But it, it was a form of currency over there. Well, when they brought it over here, the um, Methodist uh, ministers and stuff like that were giving it to the Native Americans for peace offerings. They'd pop a hole in it and you'd give them it's like a necklace. Mm-hmm. So we, my buddy found one of those, which is, you're talking about like 1400s, 1500s. I wow. mean, very old stuff. Um, I found several um, Civil War musket balls on that property. So we've pretty much found everything that connects every pit of the history on that property. So it, it, you create your own timeline of the history and like who went there. I mean, hand forged axe heads and stuff like that. You dig them up all day long. I mean, horseshoes, really? yeah, all kinds of neat, neat stuff. So yeah, it's what what part of that tells what story? I mean, we go to Spanish Fort, go metal detecting, and we find can- you know, cannonballs. Well, that's it's like messing with a bomb. They will blow up on you, so you got to take it and call bomb squad and blah 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 blah. What a cannonball! Yeah, cannonballs are ex- certain cannonballs are not solid core; they're explosive. They have yeah, they have they have a, a freaking cannon fuse in them, and they go boom. Yeah, cannonballs are... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell when you look at them? Uh, well, you got to know... Yeah, a lot of times you can... I mean, any cannonball in the Civil War around here, they're going to blow up. So, really? Yeah, they're going to blow up. So like, so people potentially have bombs... Underneath, walk around, cutting grass on them, stepping on them. Yeah, and they can get... You know, they can get big. You're talking, really? they, you're talking about big cannonballs. How does that work? Do they just... Is it filled with gunpowder and then because it, you know... Yeah, so they drill... So, so they drill a hole... Obviously, they, they make the cannonball, they have a, a hollow core, they drill a hole, they fill it full of gunpowder, and they pack it up. And they have what they, I think it's called a French fuse. So it's like this little worm-looking thing that when the cannonball gets it, when it gets fired out of the thing, it, this, it travels, and that powder burns down that little worm until it gets to the middle. And by the time it gets to there, it, it boom. But it's like an impact kind of thing. I don't know. It's science. That's all I can say. But, um, yeah, then they tell you, like, the first time I went over there, I, like, I hit this little spot, and I went to stick my shovel in the dirt, and the guy's like, whoa, Bo, no, 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 no. He goes, you can't just stick your shovel in the dirt here, man. you got to go in it soft because that's a cannonball. He said, you'll clear the area out. And I'm like, you're fucking kidding. Wow, me. that's crazy. But, yeah, you go over there, and you find this stuff. And like, Do you get to keep them? Like, like, like you call the bomb squad in? And- yeah, so, um, well, a lot of times. Um, if they're empty, you probably have. Well, you don't know if they're empty or not. I mean, if so do they drill them out? Like, how do you? Well, that's what they. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm I sorry. I, I, no, no, no. I got all. No, no. You're cool. You're all cool. the questions. So, man. Um, so what it is? Uh, a lot of people don't call anybody because if you call the police and get the police involved, they shut the area down and you can no longer metal detect there. Like you're done. Like uh, so, you want to find oh, out? You want to find the other stuff? Um, so, um, what they tell you to do if you find one? Sl- excavate the site like it is an archaeological dig site at this yeah. point. Get it out as easy and don't jar it as much as possible and put it in a five-gallon bucket of water. And the water pretty much isolates. I don't know how, but it isolates it. I would think even any kind of drop would. But anyway. Well, I, that, that makes sense because you can't use wet gunpowder. Right. Well, the thing is, is the longer that gunpowder sits in that cannonball like that, apparently it gets more unstable. It's like TNT, you know, like, you know, it nitroglycerin it gets more unstable as it stays in that type of environment so yeah they get pretty deadly like it is funny because you talk to a few few of the people there and they're like that you knock on their door and you talk to them and you talk about cannonballs like oh yeah man we, we got some in the backyard the kids can play around with them with the dog and they'll kick them around i'm like you guys are nuts like my my good friend thomas capers um now this is a solid ball because so it wouldn't worry but his dad found a cannonball in gulf park estates lodged into a tree back in like the 70s apparently 
and he cut it out and he had it. This story sounds familiar. I don't know why because right. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with 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 Thomas about this stuff. But I maybe I heard it from somebody else. But sorry. But oh, you get. But um, so um, but he had a cannonball. They grown up all his life in his living room beside the fireplace. So it's like. You know, and after years of, and I had to get metal detected, and I learned about the, how unstable some of these balls could, cannonballs can be, I called my buddy Tom, I was like, man, you know, you had like a basement, like a miniature bomb sitting beside your fireplace, like, oh, and they use it, like they use their fireplace religiously, and like, but yeah, it's crazy, but no, but that was a, kind of find out, that was an older cannonball than the war, so okay. it was a, what they call a solid core. Um, so these, these cannonballs that are, that are there, I mean, you're talking about Spanish Fort the deep south was there a battle there or yeah 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 Span- oh, okay. the battle yeah i don't oh, know you did mention that because, because part know. of me thinks like well maybe they were if if there was a battle there then could you well you probably shouldn't assume but there's probably a likelihood that they're all been fired and they're inert right well uh, not necessarily i guess not because then they would explode and they'd be in right well yeah you, you find the pieces yeah, yeah. but um and, and i'm pretty sure a lot of times you fire one and it doesn't explode it just becomes a very large projectile um but um yeah, I mean, you find all the stuff all the time. You, I mean, it's also a simple fact. You think of the way the war moved in trench lines at that time. They abandoned post and just stepped back to another post. And I mean, obviously, still to this day with war, it goes. But they just left everything there instead of driving their vehicle. Like they didn't, you know, their cannon too hard to move by horse and trailer, so they just left it and hauled ass. So whatever was there got left, and that after over the years gets buried. Um, but we, you find really, really neat stuff. A lot of bullets, like Civil War bullets or bullets, what they call it. They don't spell it like a regular bullet, um, like fifty-two caliber Sharps rifle bullets and stuff like that. And you can tell if they're unfired or not, because just obviously they're. Yeah. But the, the way they looks, but um, if they're not fired, they got a paper wad that protects the gunpowder inside of these uh, Sharps bullets. You can scrape at it with a toothpick, and you can smell the sulfur in the gunpowder still. So like wow. the last person, so you got a hundred years now of history that you can still smell a hundred year old gunpowder. So you, you get that much closer to the person that was holding that particular stuff before he died. That's I crazy. mean, some of these people I have yet to come across this, but there's be guys that'll be digging and they'll find something and they'll be digging a hole and they'll find bones. So there, there was yeah. a dead man there. I was going to ask like, you know, so when I was in England, uh, I was, I was a kid my dad was stationed there at a base called Lake and Heath. And when I left, it was in August of like 96 or 97. But, but they were they were digging up the softball fields because there was a guy who had a metal detector. And he and I think he had just gotten, he was just, you know, metal, metal, metal detecting on the softball field. And he found like precious metals. So we went to dig them up um, and he found a burial ground. Yeah. For like old knights and stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. Which became this kind of dispute because he was like, well, I, well, I want it. It's mine, but it's on a military base, but the, yeah. the base is leased by, you know, the, uh, um, ro- the Royal, the Royal Air Force. So, um, but anyway. Yeah. It's, it's, um, so yeah. They, like, what do you do about that? You got to call somebody, right? Surely. Yeah. In that case, but again, the, in the, med- the metal detecting world is really frowned upon. I see what you're about to say. Yeah. They're yeah. very frowned upon. Um, any kind of archaeologist, they any historians, they hate us because well, you're you're destroying the art. You're just, you're digging it up and destroying history. No, I'm 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 bringing history out that's been hidden for God yeah. knows how long, and it it tells a story. Um, but anyway, it the rule of thumb is if you do find any kind of human remains, obviously you call the police. And at that point, the police come out, and since they're petrified, they got to get a, get a hold of the historical district. When the historical society comes out. It's over with. That's a national landmark, and every, everything within, like, so many yards from that spot is deemed un, undetectable. 
So a lot of guys, they'll just like out of respect, do the little, you know, pay a little respect ceremony and leave whatever artifact was there and just cover it back up respectfully. I guess you want to say I've yet to find anything with any human remains wrapped around it. But um, I have found bullets that you can that, you know, have gone through human flesh because of the way the bullet mushrooms. So if a bullet hits a tree, the lead bullet, it pretty much just gets flat. Well, soft tissue, human tissue, the density of it, it'll make that bullet like that big around. Okay. Yeah, they're huge. So like you can, it's a perfect, like they just mushroom out perfectly. So you can definitely tell which one's gone through somebody and which one hasn't. So to hold something that might've potentially ended somebody's life is another strong moment for you, I guess you want to say. So yeah, metal detections, it's a very rewarding hobby, I guess you want to say. I'm pretty hooked right now. Like yeah, I've, I've always wanted to try it, but there, um, there's what? a big, there's a big scientific aspect to it. I mean, the different machines and how they, how they work and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of, a lot that goes into it than just going out there and digging up a, a quarter. I'm sure, man. Yeah. So, so what kind of equipment do you use? All right. Well, I, again, there, like I said, there's so many different types of machines out there. Yeah. Metal detectors. Um, the one I use, it's, um, it's called a, it's called it's the brand is called Tesoro, mm-hmm. which is, Spanish for treasure. That's okay. What, um, and it's the, uh, the model is an out, what they call the outlaw, but it's a, um, it's a non-digital machine. Like there is no screen on it. Like a lot of machines have okay. a screen and they run off, uh, what they call the VDI v- variable death indicator number system or whatever it is. I'm pretty sure someone is going to be like, call me tomorrow. I'm like, no, but, um, it's basically, they go off a numbering system from like, I think it's like 15 to like, 60 or 70 something or a hundred. But anyway, it's, uh, it goes off the phosphorus of the metal itself, the mm. density of the metal and all that weird bumbo jumbo. Um, so like gold being very not non-phosphorus, I guess I think is yeah. what it is. Um, it, it reads a very low number just like iron does. And if you get up to like silver and stuff, platinum and stuff like that, it reads a very high number because of the, of everything. So these guys, those machines, they can pretty much de- tell you what it is before it comes out of the ground which to mm. me kind of kills it to me because it's like ah. but then again it, it works um but yeah my machine works it's all off um just straight the electromagnetic sound s- signals um it goes beep that's what all of them do but i don't have that gauge saying well it's either in, in the level in the range of iron or is it in the range of, of a gold ring my machine goes off the um how um direct the sound of the beep is like Okay. You got to train yourself on the crispness of the, the crispest of the, or the way it, the intensity of the sound of the beep. But once you, it's all about learning the machine, whatever machine you have. It, and if a lot of people have this ideology of metal detecting, they can go out there and buy a $600 metal detector and, and go out metal detecting. They're going to find everything under the sun. Uh, you're going to get lucky and you're going to find some cool things, but then you're going to go through a streak of finding 50 pieces of can before you find the next cool yeah. artifact. Um, so that's it's very discouraging because of that reason because you have to learn the machine good before you actually start finding stuff. And and in a society where instant gratification is kind of like not you know, what you want. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, not what you fair want. Enough, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because you, that's the next thing is you get online, you watch all these videos. These guys they're finding silver coins every day, and they're finding all these cool Civil War buttons and buckles and bullets and mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. One, you got to remember that's a video and he's been, he, that's like a 20 hour trip that he edited down to a three hour event. Yeah. Um, two, this guy has been doing it for a very, very long time. He mm. knows his machine very, very well. And he has the connection of people that know where this stuff's at. Yes. As far as where the historical landmarks are and where they can and cannot go. So yeah, it's, um, I've been doing it for about four or five years now and I'm just now getting where I've grasped it, where I know where and when, what I should do. Uh-huh. So it, it's, um. 
do you use that that kind of um, like pencil looking? One? Oh, the pin pointer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, 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 you're going to be digging all day long if you don't have one of those. Gotcha. Because I mean, some of the stuff that my machine can pick up, I can pick up shotgun shot, like number four bellet shotgun shot. I mean, so if you got a hole this big around, that's going to be anywhere in there. So you definitely have to have the pinpoint system. Um, I got different size coils and depth mm-hmm. that goes different depths and stuff like that. Um, How much invested are you? You think? I'm not that invested that much right now. The um, the machine that I have, I mean, I think I got like maybe 500 bucks and everything. Really? Yeah, I'm not that invested now. Oh, good. Because um, the machine I have, it's um, it's a it's a very good machine, but it don't have all the fancy electronics and the digital stuff. So they focused on more of the important parts of the electronics mm-hmm. that find that, that do what it's got to do, and not on the the fancy you know options. Do you so. bring like other things? Like I I imagine you probably have like a sort of tool belt. Where yeah, you, yeah. You know you'll you'll have some shovels, maybe some brushes if you do right. find something or do you, do you have one of those? Um, I'm thinking of like the old 49ers, the, uh, 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 uh sifters, sifters. Do yeah. You, no, do you carry no I, don't, those? I don't go that far, okay, but uh, okay. I do have, you know, I, I got a, um, I got this pouch, I guess you want to say like a, a man pack or whatever you want to call yeah, it, I don't yeah. know, whatever the name is, but uh, yeah, I got different, different, um, types of toothbrushes that are firm and soft, different bristle strength. And, um, I got a brass brush in case you run across some, something you can scrub with brass and, you know, um, I got like different plastic picks and stuff like that. So you can pick at things without messing up whatever you're mm. digging around. Cause you know, silver will scratch like that. And if you got a coin, you want you to, you want to keep it as pristine yeah. as possible. Um, yeah. I mean, I keep little bottles of little squirt bottle of water so you can, you know, not yeah, spit. Right. And a lot of my friends are like, like spitting on, it. I'm like, man, why? I mean, I get it if you have to, but yeah, but just spray a little water with you, get man. a bigger tool belt. Right. Put the damn water bottle right, in yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> pour in it. Use your drinking water if you have to. It's not a yeah, big deal. Yeah. I mean, I've used my Coke before if I have to. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, yeah, you bring us a couple different size shovels. You got your main spade and then you got, you know, I, gar- I go to Lowe's. Everybody, that's the next thing is that's probably why I got a lot of my budgets down is everybody's got this format. They go online and they go to these metal detecting companies that make these shovels. Yeah. It's a shovel, bro. It's, it's, yeah. I mean... I get you get yourself a little garden trowel. Right. I imagine I, I get the main shovel because I've broken a lot of shovels because plus I mean with detecting you're digging a lot more than the average Joe does. Um, and down here we have oak trees and roots or, or hell. Yeah. So I I made my own shovel. I, you know, I, I went to Lowe's and bought a basic shovel uh-huh. and welded two shovels together in a sense and cut out a different pattern and shredded it and and made it look like a, a eight, like a, a metal detecting shovel that's special designed for it. They're like eighty dollars to a hundred dollars. I'm not spending a hundred dollars on a shovel. I just, I don't see the point in that. Um, and they like, they have some little small guard, like what I call a gardening trial. They're like 50, 60 bucks because they're specially made. I mean, uh, of course they are. That's cool and all, but do you carry a hatchet too? Yeah. I I carry a little small hatchet. Yeah. Yeah. You you got it for the roots and stuff like that. That or I keep one of those little small saws, like a little hatchet Mm. saw, you know, whatever you want to call it. Have you seen those finger saws that's on a, on on like a string? I I imagine that that. that'd be take forever. Yeah. Um, Maybe they they seem to be pretty quick, you know, in the video, but of course the video sped up. I gave one a shot. I I thought about just carrying my, um, my uh, Milwaukee um, grinder around, put a little saw blade on it. Yeah. Well, I think a sawzall. Yeah. yeah, You know, like like one of those, um, I've, I've, I've got their I've got their twelve volt drill system and they make like a little sawzall like yeah, those, yeah, yeah. Uh, six yeah, inch blade because again you know me thinking about you know carrying tools because I'm 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 shop minded like right, you is right. like okay well every tool is also a weight right so, exactly yeah so you really cut <laughs> and you're probably doing a lot of walking yeah oh yeah I mean I'll I'll cover that's a, that's a pretty healthy hobby man honestly like it can be it's mentally healthy because yeah. it's mentally stimulating you're doing research before like that's that's a really great hobby yeah, actually and, and um i'm just now gotten this thing it's pretty fun um 
that you don't find very much that weekend. It's not a very productive weekend of metal detecting, yeah. but it's just good with your buddies. But I have a, a couple of friends up in uh, north of Hattiesburg. We go up to these uh, plowed uh, cotton fields where they used to do a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, we, um, we, go, we, go, we hit the bar before we go. You know, you got a bunch of drunks out there stumbling around all over the field trying to listen to this. I love that, man. <laughs> that, so. I'm telling you, that sounds like a fucking blast. Right, yeah, it's definitely fun. Um, so, yeah, but it's... Um, that's the next thing. It's really cool. You, you know, you got four or five guys out in this big field, you're metal detecting. And when you find something, you know, Hey, I got, you know, you scream, I got something and like they, they want to know what you found too. Yeah. So it, it's, 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 it's fun. All fun and games. But yeah. It's, it's, it's great too. Like my last recorded podcast, well, was actually with my wife last night. It was, I really hope she approves of it because, because it was <laughs> hilarious. Uh, but before that was with Christine walk, who's now Chris or uh, who was formerly Christine Fury. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so she got into craft beer a lot and, uh, we were talking about like, it, it's so great that like all these sort of hobbies and interests, they come like a community always forms, you know, right. and that's a really great part about it because these, these buddies, did you get them into it or were they into it before? No, they were into it before. Like, yeah, so, I just, so now you get right. to gain from their experience exactly. and, and, and stuff like that. That's so awesome. Yeah. Man. It's really cool. And that's like, like I said, I've met, I've got friends from all over. I've never met them personally, but I've yeah. got friends from on Facebook from all over the world that do it. Like I said, my buddy from Bosnia, um, Miriam, whatever it is. And I can't remember his full name, yeah. but anyway, um, we, Mikey for short. Um, but he's a really cool guy. And now I mean, his story goes deep. I mean, he's a, uh, he's a Bosnian special forces guy. I mean, he's private contractor for the, for the military for special. You so, wouldn't think that guy would be into. Right. And, and you look at him, he looks like one of those Russian mobsters you see on TV. Like you don't, if you, if you walk into him in a store, you're going to go all around the store. Away from him. <laughs> like he just like his, his voice and everything. You can tell he's hardcore, but he yeah. goes out metal detecting. And, um, and on top of it, he's a beekeeper. Like this guy is like so diverse. So it's really cool. I got a friend in um, Scotland that does a big, he's really, really popular. He does a whole YouTube thing on uh, YouTube and metal detecting. And he goes from metal detecting to the Scotland Highland, uh, Highlands to um, panning for gold in, in the rivers down below. Have you thought about that? Like just wearing a GoPro during these things yeah. to capture some footage? Yeah. You know, it's, um, I've thought about it a few times. We, um, we started a Facebook group. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, because the, the the machine that I use to Soro, like it's a close fan base. It's like a very few people use the machine. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like a Pinto club. Everybody loves the Pinto, but everybody hates Pinto. <laughs> and the only ones that really love it, they're all grouped together. Right. Um, so that's what we did, and it, it's that's we started a Facebook group, and um, it got big, and it's like that. And I did a few videos in the group itself with just the people that I knew, but no, I I think the it's kind of like anything else with YouTube. It, the market's so flooded with it now that I don't know. It, it'd be too hard to diversify, to diversify myself from everybody else and, and get put out there. Yes. And no, there's, there's over, I think, I think recently they, they just went over a million podcasts out there. And, and um, I guess my perspective on it is I'm going to attract people who kind of believe what I believe. And that's, that's a self-defined market, True. you know? So um, the fact that I'm in, I'm listened to in 42 states and 16 countries is, is, uh, well, it's, it has to do with the military, you know, the, the, the country part. Um, but, uh, but I also boost, I boost my posts. And so I've got like my demographic that I'm trying to change, which I do for each, each post like this one will be in, include, um, uh, metal detecting, but, uh, people who consistently listen are attracted to you for you, you know, and that's a great thing. And so there's an unlimited market right now True. for people who are interested in your set of interests. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's like I, I'm, I tune in every Monday night to a, um, a guy named Mike Hare that does a podcast for metal detecting. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all in. He, he does live podcasts. So he talks to people from all over the place on the phone and stuff like that about pod, and metal detecting. Um, he's pretty cool. Uh, it, it's, but, but I can see where you, what you mean by that. You know, you have your personal fans and you have the ones that are listening just for this particular subject that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you being so passionate about the history, like you could couple this with like a short, like my podcast or long form, but, but to say like, Hey, look, um, like you could, you could do the YouTube video and then record also kind of a story about it, which could be a separate YouTube video or, or connected to that or both. Mm -hmm. Right. And then also put that recording, the podcast, like the, the historical part on a podcast. True. True. You know? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I've thought about it a few times. Uh, My buddy, when we go out, we, we make a video no matter what, but I've never actually gone out and tried to, I guess you want to say, not, I guess the word's not monetized, but take up the whole and just go for it. Um, hell, yeah, I'm, been, I'm not making any money off this, and, no, and, and I don't plan to. This, no. this is just a hobby. I mean, right. this is just fun to do. You oh, know? absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, I mean, it's like going back to the history down here. I've, I've been offered to be a tour guide for Beauvoir. Oh, really? Yeah, like we've, we went there literally like four or five times in a week, uh-huh. and the lady's like, you ever consider just coming here? Because like there's a few times she'd be talking and like, and it'd be kind of quiet and, and somebody beside me would be like, oh, but what about this? And I would, I'd, if I knew it, I'm going to tell you like this, pretty, yeah. you know, give a little story. And the lady overheard it. If you, and I thought she got me, I thought I was in trouble because like I kept like give adding to her tour. Yeah. And yeah. she's like, I need to talk to you. I'm like, oh shit, I'm in trouble. I done, I done broke something in this yeah. 800 year old house and I am, <laughs> I'm screwed. I cannot afford to fix nothing. Right. So she's like, have you ever considered being a tour guide here? And I was like, no. I was like, one, I said, I don't have the time. I mean, cause and two, I said nothing against y'all, but you're probably not going to be able to pay me from what I make now yeah. compared and transferred over. She's like, well, you can volunteer. You don't, you know, I was like, well, you know, cool. So she gave me the, one of the guys on the board's number and I went and talked to him and interviewed with him. And he asked me like a million questions about Beauvoir and if how much I know about it and all this different stuff. And, um, it never would work out for me even volunteering because I can only volunteer during the weekends and I had kids and they wanted to do four or five shows a day mm-hmm. tours a day. And I just didn't have time to do yeah, that. Yeah. And I told him, I said, every now and then I could do a tour or two. He goes, well, he goes, it's not worth our time signing you up for volunteering yeah. just to do two tours and call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, they're, right, they're, right, right. they're looking for something very, but very yeah, specific. I, I did. I think the, the metal detectants became a side hobby over the learning of the history down here. Now I think yeah. that's, that's I'm, I'm, I've noticed my transitioning of, Learning the history over metal detecting. I still love the metal detecting, but I'm starting to transition into what's actually happened down here. Yeah. Other than what we just learned about. Yeah. So, I mean, there's stories to be told that never make it to history book. Yeah. That's so. awesome, man. God, that's so cool. Yeah, man. It's, <laughs> it's like, you know. Do you have an, uh, do you have an extra machine? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I got a couple machines. Oh, okay. We, we well, can definitely hit it. Yeah, man. Yeah, we definitely hit it out. Yeah. I got, actually, I, I keep my, keep my primer machine in my car all the time because you never know when you're going to be somewhere like, yeah, I'm a metal detect today. So. Really? Yeah, yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I bet I take my break on my off time, just yeah. work, dig around. And then the property that where our shop is on, the, uh, the house was like built in the early 60s. So a potential for all kinds of silver coins mm. and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. it's um, old, any, uh, it's what they call relics, uh, relic hunter, like any kind of old iron stuff, uh, metal detect, like for um, any kind of old iron metal, horseshoes, axe heads. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's there's a thousand things just cool to find. I, I found lead toys, but uh, silver war toys, you know, mm-hmm. like the kids used to play with, you know, um, I found a couple of those in, in the, in a yard and you can tell it used to be like a, a play spot. It's like, you start digging here and you find one and you go over here and you find another one and you put the story together. Like, well, this, some kid was sitting here. Dad was at world war two and he played war at home with these toy soldiers. 
I mean, I got a couple of those little lead soldiers. Like, have you seen the movie The Patriot? Yeah. Bell Gibson. Those little soldiers. I got a couple of those that you found. Really? That I found. So, what did it tell? Pretty yeah. cool stuff, dude. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, do you do any underwater stuff? No, you know, I wanted to, but the biggest thing is, have you seen the color of our ocean? Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's probably you'd have difficult. To, you'd have to travel all over the place and stuff like that. I want to do one of those magnet pull things. Now, I, I, get I have thought about getting into that, get one yeah. of those really, really strong, like 500-pound pull magnets and yeah. just, like, chunk it over and see what you find. It, they're, they're, they're not too expensive no, either. No, they're not. They're you know, not. I'll tell you, uh, so... I use magnets throughout woodworking to like, you know, hold things together and whatnot. And in, and in fact, um, my miter saw, those two sides, they come off, but they're attached on the backside with, with, with magnets. So they okay. stay, you know, up, up front here. And that's if I have to like bevel the saw over or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I've, this has happened to me on multiple occasions and I've had to order magnets and they never come. Because they get stuck to something in shipping. Raw, I didn't yeah. ever think of that. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's interesting. And so I would imagine, it, like, I would imagine the box for this magnet that's probably about six to eight inches is probably like a foot or two, right? It's gotta you be know, huge. on 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 either side yeah, of that. You almost think they could be a build like a like you know like for like nuclear stuff they they can build a sarcophagus to yeah, contain yeah, it. Yeah. You think they'd have some kind of something? I, I would imagine it's like packed with a a foot of foam. All the way around, you know, right? Or like some kind of rubber or something like that yeah. to keep it from. But yeah, yeah. you imagine the, the the UPS guys like kind of get off the floor, like piece of crap. Like, what is wrong with this box? <laughs> yeah, well, th- well, th- well, that's probably an issue too. Like, yeah, it can't just be simple packaging. Yeah, a twenty it's pound magnet. Well out. Yeah, if it's got a five hundred pound lift capacity, it's it's going to be holding five hundred pounds yeah, to the floor. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, yeah, that's nuts. I didn't yeah, think about that. UPS but. guys, like, can you come get us out of your truck? <laughs> Well, look, man, we did uh, we did three hours. Hell yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's, that's nuts. It's an insane like kind of time capsule in here, and of course, you 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 hear people talk about uh, that on podcasts. Like, how can you miss three hours? It's it's super easy. It's uh, crazy. It's, it's just like metal detecting. You go up metal detecting, and you start at nine, and next thing you know, it's like four o'clock in the afternoon because yeah. you're always looking at the ground. You never look up. You never. You never yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. It's a healthy it's a healthy hobby, but mm-hmm. it's also hell in your neck and back because you're constantly. Like this the whole time, back and forth, back and forth. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it's, you, you go to the parks and stuff like that, and it's really cool because, like, um, people wonder what you're doing. And it gets old because, like, all the kids want to come to you. And they next thing you know, you you got the kids running around with your metal detector, and they're playing with it. And, you know, because like, I always let kids do it if they're around. But um, I got to the point now where somebody asks what I'm doing. I said I'm looking for a dead body, and they just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one day you're going to. You know, that's going to happen. I think it's inevitable. Well, I, I got away with this at the park one time in Biloxi because the parks and recreations in Biloxi, they don't allow you to metal detect. Oh. You can metal detect on the beach, but you can't metal detect on the park. But if you look in the paperwork on the in the Biloxi legislation, the beach is a park. So why can't I metal detect any other park? But anyway, yeah. their, their concern is you leaving a hole and a kid breaking his leg in a hole or something I like see. that. So I can okay. understand yeah, that. Yeah. But, um, that's, that, that makes sense. So I'm detecting one day and um. The cops show up. This is right across the street from the lighthouse, that little spot park right there. Yeah. And um, so they walked up, and I'm I metal detecting. And my the cops go to my buddy first, and they talk to him. And my buddy's been doing it for a little bit longer than me. And he's a little bit older than me. And um, he goes, he walked over. I was like, are we, are we getting shut down? He goes, no, I talked to the cops for good. I said, well, what did you tell him? He said, he said I told him I lost my uh my, my wedding ring, and my wife's going to kill me if I don't come home without it. So I, we're out here looking for the wedding ring. <laughs> That's awesome. We finished, we finished like the last three hours of metal attack that way. 
and those two cops probably married, married and they bonded over there. Like, right. oh man, that's yeah, that's yeah. tough. I get it. You yeah. know, yeah. poor you poor know. guy. He's gonna get detect on my friends. Yeah. yeah, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah, that's pretty but, cool stuff though. That's crazy. Like you said, yeah, you get you get lost to tied up in the conversation. I know, real man. Quick. I, know. I do it all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, well, shit, man. It's 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 been great having you. Absolutely. I'm. I'm I was glad I'm here. Glad yeah. I'm yeah. We gotta. We gotta get you back on, man, because we only covered like really just kind of a few. Right. It's crazy how long you can talk. Yeah. It's a little bit of stuff. It's a little bit of stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I'm always down to have a get. You know, always down to have a conversation, man. Yeah. Well, so. Well, it was a great time, man. Thanks for stopping uh, by, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. See ya. All right. Everybody, thanks again for listening. As always, we appreciate the support from each and every one of you. If you found value in this episode or you just enjoyed the entertainment, feel free to give us a review and a rating. Also, don't forget to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at shopandchivalry.com where we have links to our episodes, a blog, pictures, and other media, and also a way to get in contact with us. Shoot us an email or message if you would like to be on the show. Finally, follow us on Facebook at The Shop and Chivalry Podcast, Instagram, Shop and Chivalry, and Twitter, at Shop and Chivalry. Thanks again, everybody. See ya.